start the pre-roll. Doing that thing, Gabe. Doing the pre-roll thing. Ain't nothing but a pre-rolling. There you go. I fixed it. My live. We are live. Yes. Well, not like live, live, but it's about as live as we get. I'm looking up ways to. Um, I, I want to do the show live, mm-hmm. just because I want to, and uh, I'm trying to figure out ways how to do that. We could do a YouTube live session or something. Yeah, but I don't know if you could do that without video. Without video. Well, we could just put up the logo, and just chat over it. What? Well, let us do that. Yeah. Huh. I wonder. I guess we could do that. We just have to find a way to feed the audio in directly. You know, like pass through the audio through the image. You know what I'm talking about? No, no, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's just uh, the manner of trying to figure it out. That's like the next thing, the next project I want to work on is like that. Enamel pins. No, oh, no, live live streaming. Yeah, live streaming. Not so much like, because I really need, I don't have like the funds to do like gaming stuff, but just like to be able to post it up live. And as as opposed to having just uh, kind of the Podbean automatic upload thing. Maybe having like our actual like logo be front and center as opposed to the Podbean logo being front and center. Not mad at them about it, you know. It's a, it's nice. It's a nice little tool that allows us to do such things. But you know, do what you gotta do. Yeah, man, we got a we got a beefy agenda here today, my friend. We got a chunky, chunky, some nice chili chunk agenda. Yeah. So uh, I ain't talking about the bad kind of chili chunk, like the when you got the shits chili chunk, you know. Oh. I'm talking about the good chili chunk, like the hearty going down with the beans and the corn and the. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you ready to get that going? Oh, yeah. What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Second City Kids podcast, episode number one hundred and eleven. One, one, one. Yeah, man, nice and easy for us on the on the titling front. Oh yeah. But yeah, we are back at you on a pretty nice day on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I am your host Jacob, and with me today I have Gabe, Ahoy. and the always silent partner Maddie. <laughs> she contributes but via messages to Gabe. But yeah, so uh, we're back uh, for another episode, a beefy episode, as we mentioned on the pre-roll. Uh, but before we get too hot in the nitty gritty, I want to mention something. Uh, I noticed something on TuneIn Radio that is kind of bothering me. Um, they as TuneIn seems to have merged our podcast feed with another podcast feed. Oh, yeah, uh, it's only on TuneIn. So if you're a TuneIn listener, I don't know who this individual is. You would tell because he's not my voice, and nor is he Gabe's voice. He's a he sounds like an Indian fellow. Let's say that, and. Um, I mean, he has like hour-long shows and stuff like that, so he's obviously working. But I don't know what's going on with that, and I'm trying to get that addressed. So if you are a tune-in listener, uh, you know the format in which we title our episodes. If it does not look like that, don't listen to it. Uh, I'm sure the guy is a nice well, guy. Don't don't count it as us. Maybe you'll find his agenda interesting. Yeah, maybe I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's not us. So anything he says does not reflect uh, what is going on on the Second City Kids podcast and our opinions and all that good stuff. Not to say that we are necessarily the most PC people on the planet, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what this guy's who he is or what he's going to say or none of that. So, yeah, you know, you know what it is. But other than that, man, like I said, back and uh, Gabe, how was your week, my friend? Good, man. I uh, I tried some uh, cryotherapy this week. How did that go? It was good, man. It's uh, it's chilly in there. It really is. <laughs> they 
cranked me down to like negative 260 for three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea is essentially get all that blood flow back into like your core. And then when you warm up, it burns all these calories because, you know, your body needs to burn some fuel to warm you back up. Mm -hmm. And then the blood starts to recirculate and, you know, build all your damaged and cells and shit like that. It was pretty cool, man. I enjoyed it. But figuratively and literally. I got a, yeah. <laughs> Freeze. Yeah. <laughs> I got one more session on Monday, so should be good, man. Is, is that like a medical thing that was required of you, or is that something that you decided to do on your own? Well, uh, my buddy went about a month ago, and he said he really enjoyed it. And then, uh, you know, if you listen to Joe Rogan long enough, these things come up, and I was like, eh, I'll look into it. <laughs> and so this place has like a promotion where if it's your first time, you get the first three sessions for 30 bucks. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, why not? Where are you going? Uh, this place called Cryolux. Hmm. So they got one in the city. They got one in Mokina, which is the one I go to because it's just a bit close to work. Yeah, okay. man, it's pretty cool. Very, very cool. Uh, so yeah, that was your week. Nothing else to report on that front? Yeah, pretty much it. Absolutely. So for me, uh, I actually had an abbreviated week because I had Monday and Tuesday off. Um, I actually went to Monday Night Raw on Monday. Very cool. Eh, it was an all right episode. It wasn't too bad. Uh, had fun with friends, though. We went to, with a couple of work buddies. And had a good time with that. Me and the wife went and had a good time. Tuesday, hung out with the baby because I don't really have, you have the opportunity to do that a whole, whole lot. Um, so it was nice to just hang out with me and her. Been seeing a lot of her recently, and it's nice. Uh, went back to work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and basically the week was over. I blinked the week was over. So I enjoyed it. It was a good week on that front. Uh, but yeah, man, a lot, a lot of cool stuff going on. But with that being said, you got a note. So go ahead and throw yeah, down so a note. So you remember back in... The MySpace days, like the 2008-ish era. You remember when uh, the Razer phone dropped and it was the hottest shit ever? Yeah. Yeah, so Motorola's trying to get their gritty paws back into this phone market, and they're dropping the new version of the Razer. And it's essentially going to be the same style. Like, imagine the old Razer, the flip phone. Mm -hmm. But when you unflip it, it's a full-sized, flat touchscreen. Is that... um, I've seen concepts for this. Is that, like, plausible? Can Can that be done? Don't look at me, man. Motorola has way more resources than I do. <laughs> but I think it can be. I think it's a reasonable design. It's not anything over the top. Shit, dude, if Samsung makes a phone that folds like a hamburger, then why not, right? Yeah, I guess. You That's know? interesting. I just think it's kind of cool because we're seeing kind of the resurgence of what was up 10 years ago and this I th- stuff. I think it's kind of awesome because I think uh, I, I'm not probably not a um, alone in thinking this, but I think Razer might be the Razer outside of the old Nokia brick might be one of the most iconic phone designs of all time i think definitely that i'd probably put like the first iphone on there too the sidekick yeah hit yeah. me on the sidekick let's yeah. chill you remember that yeah Hollywood and deadline yeah. yeah but i think it's a pretty cool looking phone you said you've seen concepts of it yeah i think it retains the uh everything that made the old razor really cool yeah it was really cool and i dig it because it's not just this massive like pseudo tablet you know it's trying to keep the phone form factor it's actually a bit smaller when you fold it down too yeah because uh i remember that when the razor came out it was like the first time that like phones decided to do that like made a willing willing choice that they were going to try to get smaller and like take up less space you know well even then there was like flip phones coming around at the same time but that razor dude it was just it was the best looking flip phone at the time like like a stainless steel kind of look to it yeah nice polished aluminum on top and Good stuff, man. So I'm excited to see them kind of go back into the market because right now, if you know, we got like Huawei coming up and this and that, but like predominantly, it's still a good chunk that's Samsung and Apple. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of been this thing where it's like small upgrade, small upgrade. And then now Samsung's like, oh, big foldable phone. So shocker, it's $1,900. Yeah. Probably for the base one, you know, and it's like, fuck that. I ain't paying two grand for a phone. Absolutely. I want options, you know. 
Absolutely. Two, two grand, you could go out and buy a, like a beat up ass Honda Civic for two grand, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So it's just kind of this thing where it's like, holy shit, where have we, you know, how far have we strained? Yeah, it's weird. It's everything makes full circle because it's like, let's get thinner. Okay, let's go back to being big. Okay, let's go back to being thin. Everything. It's always like a circular kind of a thing. Yeah. They, they, they never have a, like a place where they just keep going in the direction. They always come back around to old ideas. So I'm, I'm curious to see where this market's going in the next 10 years. But that being said, if this thing comes to reality and uh, it looks good and it and the production model is what the concept model looked like or close enough, I think I might just hop on it. I think it's, uh, I think a, a large portion of it is because the phone has become kind of the workstation. Uh, I think it's like a, a lot of app-based kind of conversation that comes, comes to a lot of people, I think. Oh, speaking about workstations and phones, the BlackBerry. I think that's a super iconic phone. Yeah, that's With up the there. the whole full QWERTY keyboard and the touch trackpad thing. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. absolutely cool. Uh, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's excellent. I'm glad that it's coming back. Because like I said, I, I had one and it was a hoot. Better, better camera. I think like I got my first phone maybe a couple years after the Razer because my phone was like pseudo touchscreen. It was like a quote unquote, very loosely touchscreen, my first phone. How, how do you, there, how? there was like these embedded buttons on the screen itself. And those three buttons were the only thing that were quote unquote touchscreen. So it wasn't really, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't really touchscreen. <laughs> Interesting. But because the buttons were in the screen. Yeah, they called it that. You know, it's this very early weird tech. But I had um, <laughs> I don't mean to make this an old cell phone conversation, but I had um, a keyboard that would you would be able to slide it up, and then it would have the normal full size. Yeah, I had the, one of those. The too. normal, the normal one, and then you flip it on the side, and then it has the full quartery keyboard. So I would have fun with it and like kind of have them both slide out at the same time and break it. I mean, it, it still worked, but it was always fun for me to try to like. Yeah, man, get I, I miss those. Like the classic phone keyboards. Because you could to, text yeah. without looking, man. Yeah. That shit was so nice. Especially in class, you'd be like staring at the teacher. <laughs> clickety, 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 click, And you know exactly what you type down to the I, I mean, punctuation. I could still do it with uh, the iPhone, though. I mean, I, I can't even spell Mayo without like adding extra shit in there sometimes, man. It's rough. Really? It's, yeah. Sometimes I'll have like, like it looks like I had a stroke mid-text. <laughs> like, Are you okay? Like, yeah, this is my fat fucking fingers. Sorry, dude. Sausage fingers. All right, dude. All right, so ready to get into this uh, this big meaty ass agenda? Yeah, man. Let's talk some uh, movies and TV as we yep. normally do. Um, so we talked last week about James Gunn, and how he's on board for Guardians Three, and he's still doing Suicide Squad. Correct. So there's some new information released about Suicide Squad, and it is not a sequel. It is in fact a reboot after <laughs> one film. Yeah, man. Um, it's very DC to do. Yeah, I think it, it's the most DC thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> how many times has Superman died and come back? Well, it, how many times in the past five years have we had a reboot? Like twice now? Once? Yeah. Twice? Yeah. New 52 and then the, the one after that? Rebirth? So twice? Yeah. yeah. Why? Why it do they? It just seems so unnecessary. I, I feel like it's almost like shitting on the legacy. Like you have all this stuff and granted you have your better storylines and your worst ones and your great ones like Brightest Day, Blackest Night and you know, some other series we won't mention mm -hmm. but don't you think it's kind of like disrespectful to everything that's come prior to it i mean because it's, because the movie was so polarizing i find it very hysterical that they've already kind of given up on trying to like have a follow-up to it uh i think it does cut them loose on some of the poor decisions that they made <laughs> in some regard well all right know. here's what i think about this you ever like work on a personal project of yours or whatever it may be you start on it, and then like halfway through, you kind of realize that like I could have done better, but we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. 
And then when it's done, it like falls apart or doesn't work or whatever it may be. And then you're like, well, now I got to go back and do it the right way. Yeah. I feel like that's exactly what's happening with Suicide Squad. You think it was half-baked? Or yeah. If, if, if that. Yeah. <laughs> My Qu- whole thing quarter is Quarter-baked. <laughs> and I think the whole Will Smith leaving has a big part to play in it too. Because he was arguably the best part of the last one, right? Yeah. And now that he's gone, they kind of have to restructure the film without Deadshot. Yeah. Or with a brand new Deadshot that's, you know. It wouldn't surprise me if James Gunn walked in. He's like, he walked into like the writing room and there's like the... He's like, everything you have, torch it. Yeah. He's like, whatever you guys got going on, it ain't working. So we're going to go ahead and fix this and give it a, a solid reboot. I mean, I I think it's too early, obviously. I mean, I think that goes without saying. But... um. I mean, whatever, whatever. If it makes it better, fine. Yeah, I, I, I kind of have the same mentality with that. If this Suicide Squad 1, and then in parentheses 2, like, you know, when you make a new folder, but you don't rename it, and it's like, <laughs> new folder 1, new folder 2. Um, I think if this new version is going to be better, then by all means reboot it. Yeah. But the last thing I want is now to have two half-picked Suicide Squads. <laughs> maybe if you combine them, maybe they'll be like... No, nah, but see, that doesn't work, because if you eat two half-baked potatoes granted you might have enough starch for a full-baked potato but it's still not the same as enjoying one full one you know what i'm saying i guess yeah no, it I just see, seems like point. a lot of extra work to pick and prod through the cold potato and toss it off to the side there's nothing wrong with cold potatoes though every once in a while yeah yeah but <laughs> i just thought that was interesting yeah james gunn came in guns ablaze and he's like nope nope and nope 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 yeah. nope nope None of this is working. We're starting over. <laughs> I think if they're going to carry anything over, it's probably just going to be Margot Robbie's role as Harley. I think she did that as best as she could. Um, Writing-wise, it wasn't the best, but I think it served its purpose. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if, if we could uh, get a whole retcon on that Jared Leto Joker, I'd be pretty stoked about that. So, I don't know. what. Like, the, bring him back or get rid of him? Get rid of him. Find another Joker or just don't, don't mention him at all. Yeah, I think he was okay in what he had, but it really seemed unnecessary. It's like it's so funny because like this, like where like the lines drawn. So like obviously we have the Justice League and the Batman's and the and the Wonder Woman's and the Superman's etc. But like where is Suicide Squad following all of that? Obviously they're involved because they had Batflick in Suicide Squad, so they're obviously somewhere along the line. But at the same time, this new Joker with a Keen Phoenix, where does that fit in in the grand scheme of things? There's no continuity at all. Yeah, that's probably a good point, but. It's a matter of, we spoke about this. Batman has arguably one of the best villains gallery, period. Mm-hmm. You don't need to pull out your trump card every single time you show the bat on screen. Mm-hmm. You don't. For, for fuck's sake, put Clayface in there. Yeah, we haven't got one of those. Black Mask. That'd we, be cool. You have a whole, bro, we, we haven't gotten a movie adaptation of the Riddler. Well, we have, but not like a gritty <laughs> one, right? We got. We, uh, we haven't gotten anything recently, Yeah. aside from Gotham, right? Well, we got that, and uh, Jim Carrey played the Riddler. I forget about that. I think you could still do the Riddler if you gave him a little bit more yeah, grit. And it's funny because, like... If you sandpaper Jim Carrey just enough, I think he could pull absolutely. it off. Absolutely. Yeah, cause it's funny because he's the perfect pick. Jim Carrey was the perfect pick. Just have him reprise his role from The Mask. Yeah. Yeah. Just do that. <laughs> yeah. You got the green going on. Just give him the fucking fedora and call it a day. He could do serious, too. Jim Carrey's a very good absolutely. serious actor. So... I think it's interesting. If I don't they know. did an older take on the Riddler, that'd be cool because Jim Carrey's getting kind of old. Absolutely. But, you know, our movies are going to turn out better than some of the stuff DC's cranking out. And I just thought it was hilarious because it was kind of, uh, they shot their shot and they missed horribly and now it's time for a reboot. And I think out of recent memory, this is probably the closest one 
How long ago? How how long is that? How long is that? Twenty fifteen was Suicide Squad. No, I feel like it's twenty sixteen. Let me look. Let me look. Let me look. I'm sorry. Maybe because that's that's like what th- at the most. But five like years. when you think reboot, you got to give the you know you said it the best. You got to give time for the audience to miss the property. And granted, Ben Hur reboot wasn't great, but there was <laughs> there was a huge chunk of time between movies. You know, it's, and at least they got that right. Twenty sixteen. 2016 so three years yeah three years and they're like yeah we're rebooting it so they had just enough time to wrap up filming with the first one everybody got a little breather and they're like let's do it again yeah something isn't right here yeah let's do it again like i like how you broke up ben-hur with that one (laughs) well because because ben-hur is it's not an example of a good reboot it's just a good example of how how long you should wait yeah well maybe don't follow that to a t because that was 60 years probably close to in that ballpark but you gotta give it. You gotta give it some time. Yeah, is all I'm saying. Absolutely. So, uh, man, uh, brutal. But uh, I got faith in James Gunn. Yeah, Toy Story or not Toy Story. Uh, you know, that's the next topic. But yeah, DC is so lost, and they don't even know what they're doing. They need some grand scheme, really. Yeah. Because with, without a master plan or an end goal, you're just floating about. Yeah, it's, it's a, and that's the problem when like all there, there's no. And then Star Wars suffers from the same thing, where there's no one person behind the scenes pulling all the strings. You know what I mean, that's why Star. That's why the new Star Wars suffers because there's not one person with one plan saying this is where we started. This is where we're gonna end up. And yeah, right but, up but between. the thing with Star Wars is that towards the end of the one person pulling the whole strings, it was very much still in the same ballpark as this, where it might be one person, and it might be one collective vision, but there still was kind of no end goal for those first three movies. I mean, Except for you know a new hope and Vader and granted all that, but everything between Birth of Anakin and Birth of Vader was like whew, lost in the mix. Yeah, and George Lucas kind of got carried away with his own stuff and not having his ex-wife now, right? His ex-wife, her in the mix that kind of brought him back down to earth. You know, we spoke about this. We got you got your idea people and you got your grounded people. You know, yeah. There was none of that fine mesh like we saw in the OG trilogy. Yeah, I don't know. But it's interesting though. But that's a different rant for a different day. Talk to me about this uh, trailer for Toy Story Four. Have you seen it? Yeah. How, how, okay. Uh, let me let me let me let me talk about it. First off, uh, I like the little the new little Ford character. He's hilarious. He's adorable. Um, I like the premise. I think it's interesting. Uh, I think ultimately it's going to be a love story between Woody and and Bo because Woody's going to have to decide what's more, most important to him: his personal uh, wants and needs or his relationship with his child. Then he had a line that was so fucking powerful where he's like, you know, he's like, I was meant to take care of a child. And he's like, I don't remember it being this hard. And that's like so sad. If you think about it from a toy's perspective, um, apparently it was extremely well-written movie. Apparently these guys couldn't get through the final day of, uh, yeah, we, we spoke about how Tom Hanks was like breaking down. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's a, 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 you know, it's a good, I think I'm going to look forward to it because it's, well, when is Pixar really let us down? I mean, obviously they've had some flubs in the middle of all that, but probably the most consistent movie creator outside of maybe QT, you know, or this is like a group of people too. So you have to keep that in mind. Probably the most consistent team of all time of letting out some good material. Um, and uh, it's just the, the tone they set. Uh, it's kind of interesting because it kind of got this pseudo uh, hippie 60s kind of vibe with the whole carnival thing and the music that they picked. Um, they have the the ventriloquist dummies running around which i thought was fucking terrifying uh, i'm interested uh i think they're gonna do a great job with it and pixar is a company uh kind of harping off of what we kind of previously talked about piggy bang backing off that 
is as a company that won't tell a story unless they actually absolutely feel like they have a story to tell. I think out of this whole, you know, we discussed uh, companies, animators, whatever it may be, kind of trying to transition along with us, Mm -hmm. how we were like the initial audience that they captivated and trying to transition with us growing up. I think Pixar is doing it the best right now. Absolutely. And because even Toy Story 3, there was a lot of mature themes in there. There was Mm -hmm. a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. And this Toy Story 4 just seems to be heading in that direction, how... You know, compared to the first Toy Story, it was like, oh, look, we're a bunch of toys. We got to yeah. escape. Yeah. But now it's like some serious shit where it's like, damn, I didn't think being a father with this heart. And it's kind of the wants of you as a person versus the needs of yeah. your child. And those are very real themes, man. I'm sure there's a lot of people going through that right now. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So I think Pixar is really nailing it on the head. So you, you like the trailer then? I, I think... I'm most excited about the premise more than anything, really. The trailer was good. Um, you know my whole thing on trailers. It's meant to be good. Yeah. Um, I have no doubt that Pixar will, will deliver, though. Uh, and that's just kind of... That's pretty much it for that, man. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. yeah, I got nothing to add on to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, I trust that this, they have a great story to tell because they always do. So Especially with the Toy Story property. They're not going to fuck that up. That's the baby. That's their main line? Yeah, that's their baby. That's their, their golden child. It's the number one, their first film. They're not going to fuck that up. No way. And, um, oh, God, what happened to my phone? But, uh, slipped right through your legs. Oh, God. Jake's like a slutty girl at Hot Topic. Yeah. So, what the fuck? But, uh, so, yeah, man, I think they're going to, I'm really looking forward to it, man. It's July? July? June? Uh, July. Okay. So, June? It's coming. It's coming. Summer. It's around the corner, man. Very cool. We had another trailer drop this week. We did. For another movie I think we're both pretty, pretty anticipated about. So, the poster dropped first. Horrible. And I sent it to you. It was very boring, especially for a Tarantino poster. Underwhelming. Because I think, I think when the Hateful Eight poster dropped, it was equally as boring, but there was a lot of captivation to it. And it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but on the surface, it's you know Samuel Jackson's character marching through the snow into the distance, right? But there was something very like enticing that just made you kind of ponder, like, damn, what's this movie about? And then even after you saw it, you're like, you kind of knew his struggle being you know and that was like the whole symbolization of him marching through the snow right sledging through this poster once upon a time in hollywood i think is probably the worst tarantino poster we've gotten yeah because it's just it's essentially just the two stars it's leo and brad pitt leaning against the car and there's nothing else to it it's against the san fran backdrop it's an okay looking car like their outfits but i can't really see much What, what 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 i find interesting and probably the most noteworthy thing about it is that Based on the trailer, and the trailer was well executed. It was well paced. I thought it was pretty funny with the whole. The trailer was excellent. Yeah, I loved it. Um, but if you don't know the background information on the film, which you and I do because we're huge fans, you couldn't tell what it's about. You have no. Maybe that's the point. I don't know. But this movie does not reveal jack shit. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah, I love it because it's the exact opposite of everything that Marvel's doing right now. What was that? <laughs> I think my girlfriend has a question. The, the question is, do you need more than Leon Brad Pitt to drag you all, in? All I, two, two of the, the probably the most prominent actors in our time. All, all I need is in that trailer is for the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino, and I'm in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that being said, though, uh, what do you think of the Bruce Lee thing, dude? That, that was spot on. That, that was scarily spot on. I love that line, though, because he's like, oh, if I kill you, uh, I can go to jail. He's like, if you kill anybody in a fight, you can go to jail. It's called manslaughter. manslaughter. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, man. Yeah. We live in a time where... Uh, what's his face? Brad Pitt is playing a, a what do they call him? A, a stunt double. 
Yeah. We'll take take that into, into account. Yeah. He's playing a stunt double for some actor that's not as high tiers. That's crazy. Um, that being said, Kurt Russell is in the film, and I got a pretty strong feeling he's going to be Charles Manson. He's not. No? Nope. No? Nope. Do you know who is? I do. Don't ruin it. I'm I don't want to know. I don't, no, I'm not gonna, I don't want to know. Yeah. Uh, Al Pacino's in this film. Yeah. Didn't, didn't know that. <laughs> that that kind of caught me off guard. Big uh, big all star lineup. Yeah, Margot Robbie obviously playing Sharon Tate. Yep. Uh, my question is because obviously this is based on the Manson family murders, right? So, how far are they going to go with the violence of that? It's one thing to have the violence of, you know, of people that who are made up characters, fictional characters, but these things actually happened. How far are they going to go? Here's here's my kind of grand point that I'm getting to. Tarantino grew up in the middle of all this. I think he was just a preteen when the Charles Manson stuff came public and all that shit came out. He's not that old, is he? He's pretty old, man. Hold on. Let me look. When was the Manson murder? 73? I thought that was the late 60s. Was it the late 60s? Let's do some math. How old is Quentin Tarantino? I'm sorry. Hold on. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) We didn't do our research. Yeah, we're bad at this. We're real bad at this. QT is... 55, he was 63, he was born. So maybe younger kid. So six, seven, probably. And the Manson murders, late 60s. Okay, so six, I'm not too far off. Yeah. He grew up when this stuff was on the news. Yeah. And I think he's in his element in this film. Because we've seen him explore, we've seen him dabble. He's done World War II, he's done whatever you want to consider Pulp C- Fiction to be. C- Civil War territory. Gangster films. You, we've seen him do a lot. Mm-hmm. But seeing as how... This is a movie where he can kind of call back and remember some of the the zeitgeist growing up and how things were. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be monumental. I think that's the 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 ultimate because uh, because he can relay the information. The aesthetic is so ap- appealing and accurate and, and accurate. Yeah, because like obviously you know you could look up plenty of information on the Nazi Germany and what it looked like. And it, no, don't get me wrong, it did look good. But there were parts of, of uh, Inglorious Bastard that looked completely like, fantasized. That, that looked like Kino from fucking uh, <laughs> Black Ops. The Black Ops. That's not a bad thing. No, 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 absolutely. It's not. a really good thing. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think we're gonna get a taste, or we're gonna get a look inside that man's head. We're gonna see the clockwork. Yeah. Because I mean, we know he worked at a movie store, like a blockbusterish kind of store, growing up, and he's seen all these films and this and that, and all these influences. And I feel like this movie's kind of culminating. And we're gonna get a glimpse into how he thinks and how he operates. How many? How many more films do you think he got before he calls it? One more. You think he in got his one ma- more? He said he's doing ten films in his main line. So anything after what comes after the Manson movies, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, anything after the tenth movie, I think is gonna be like guest directing, guest writing, kind of cameos, because he's doing ten in his main line, and that's it. That's what he said. Okay. I totally forgot he was in Little Nicky because we watched that the other week. Oh, my God. And he was the preacher. He was the, the crazy blind preacher. And I was like, wait, hold the fuck up. <laughs> and that was hilarious. See, something like that, something very lighthearted like that works in a movie like Little Nicky. But his whole Australian thing at the end of Django was weird. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. But, I mean, he did uh, Four Rooms. He guest directed that, if you want to call it, right? It's not a Tarantino quote-unquote original, but it's still one of his works. Dust, Dust Till Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, Dust Till Dawn. Uh, that's 
I would say that's probably better than Jackie Brown, in my yeah, opinion. You know, it's, but, fun, it's funny about From Dust to Dawn. He was like the most compelling character on that whole yeah, fucking movie. Yeah, he absolutely movie. was, 110%. Yeah. And like I said, I think I like it better than Jackie Brown. I think that's And easy. I think <laughs> if you put OG Dust Till Dawn as one of the 10, I think that'd be very fitting, but it's not my call at the end of the day. It's, right? Robert, it's Robert Rodriguez's jam, I think. And uh, so where were we? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This movie gives nothing away. And I love that about it. We don't even get a taste of anything, really. We yeah. just we just kind of see these guys interacting. Yeah. And I want to say, I, I really want to do say this because when Leo was interacting with that little girl, she's like, "You're the what?" She say, "The best actor I've ever seen." Yeah. And he like breaks down. I was like, "Wow." Yeah. That was that felt really genuine. I just love that. Uh, you know that we've come we come to an age where we get to see literally our favorite actors and our directors work together. Yeah. Wait till the Irishman comes up. What's that? What's that? Who's that? Who's in that? I know it's Pesci, uh, uh, Pacino, uh, Scorsese, yeah. Leo, all the greats. Oh my God, that's gonna be monumental. This is like the pre-cum. That's <laughs> gonna be the full-blown load. But <laughs> I'm excited for this film. It comes out in August, and you know, granted, there's only one trailer and a poster. Um, thing is gonna be a strong contender with what we've seen so far. Yeah, definitely. For top five. Absolutely. But. Um, Oh, yeah. I, I feel like the trailer was the exact opposite of the poster. The poster came out, and we're like, eh. And then the trailer came out, and it revealed nothing, and we're like livid about it. Yeah, because I, I, I talked to my – I showed my dad yesterday because he hadn't seen it yet. My dad's a big QT fan. He Like, you know, obviously he's an older guy, so he doesn't have time to look at the internet like we do. So um, after it was over, he's like, oh, that, that looks interesting. He's like, I wonder. I'm like, it's about the, fancy man, the, the Manson family murders. He's like, is it? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so master of misdirection, Mr. QT. Yep. All Very right. cool. Let's move on to the next thing. Uh, Stranger Things 3. We got a couple of big trailers and reveals because Stranger Things 3 dropped the same day as the Avengers yes, thing, right? Did it? No. Um, no, 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 no. That something was... else, right? Uh, dropped the same day as something was, else. It was Once Upon a Time, I thought. Oh, yeah, because it's uh, O-Girl, that, whose name I can't remember. She's in both. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about this growing so, epidemic. Let's, let's, so, yeah, let's, let's talk. Um. Now... Uh, you know, Netflix dropped the, the dropped it the trailer for the new Stranger Things season. Uh, obviously, that train has kind of slowed down a little bit. Uh, that's what happens when you take a break. But I'm hoping that that break is it's not the break. It's not the break. No. Was it last season? Yeah, I'd say part of it had to do with last season. I think a good chunk of this is the direction they're taking with this um, original. Yeah. The first season of Stranger Things was a well-done story. Each character got their moment. They got some development. They got their arcs. And it was self-encompassing mm-hmm. because it was very much Twilight zone At the end of it, it's like, oh, it's all resolved. Ha-ha, <laughs> surprise, bitch, not really. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? The second one, we talked about it, the whole Chicago episode was unnecessary. There was mm-hmm. a couple characters that were very underbaked. There was parts and scenes that just felt disjointed and disconnected from the whole almost franchise i would yeah. say really and season two is still well done and i think the best thing to come out of season two is steve harrison's development really absolutely and you know caleb shoma waving a gun is always a good thing but it's kind of this serialization that you know the continuous sequels that i'm very concerned about because we essentially had this one hit wonder property like guardians of the galaxy you know guardians of the galaxy a d-tier comic and it kind of struck gold when it on the big screen I felt like it was very much in the same way with Stranger Things, where it was this kind of... Low budget, yeah. 
I wouldn't say low budget. I'd say they were like, let's take a chance on this. And at the very least, we'll come close to breaking even. And it's Netflix, you know, so all their other properties would cover it. And then suddenly it erupted and everybody's like, oh my God, Stranger Things. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like now it's just this kind of slog to get through. Not necessarily watching it, but kind of coming to this point and realizing that Stranger Things is going to be another one of those things that just is going to have, like, when is it going to end, you know? You think um, that they um i mean i think the the the, the duffer brothers that's what they're called the right? duffer brothers yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're um i think they're very cognizant of the fact that last season while well, well executed was slightly underwhelming and i'm hoping that they kind of double down and, and go, you know go forward and try something new i'm glad that, that well based on this little trailer that i'm glad the demigorgon is kind of gone with and they've got this new kind of monster i my explanation to adriana is i think this is the 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 the, the side boss the grand mamma jamma no i no, i no. think it's the side boss i don't think we're, we're gonna see the big 11 gonna be the big mamma jamma this yeah. is the big boss that they're gonna have to fight at the end i don't know what's going on with yeah it. But, but you feel me though you feel me yeah a little bit i i, I see some of that um these kids are get big <laughs> first off these kids are getting old uh, I think it loses some of its charm because they are starting to get old and it's not as cute because they are older. Um, that's just kind of how the whole, you know, kid actor in Hollywood thing kind of works. So when does um, what's his name, Dustin transform into Ollie Sykes? When does that happen? I don't Between know. Sh- no, what's his name? I can't remember the kid's name. <laughs> Whatever you know what I'm talking about, young young Ollie. When does he write? Um, is it Mike? When does he yeah. start to write uh, Suicide Season? I don't know. Or uh, count your blessings. No, well, he has, to, he has to move to UK first. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested. Obviously, I'm a fan of the the, the, the franchise. So uh, hope, we'll see what it looks like moving forward. Yeah, I guess that's all we could do is watch it and review it. Yeah, what I'm looking forward to, though, I mean, this is a side note, but I'm actually going, like I said, I'm going to the Florida in October, and they're actually going to be having the Hollywood Horror Nights going on around the same time at Universal. They're going to have a Stranger Things. Well, they have a Stranger Things maze. They have a Halloween maze. So cool. you know, you know me, I'm going to go ape shit. You're uh, going to get murdered. Yeah. Um, Think about it. That's a perfect premise for a Halloween movie: an amusement park with a Halloween-themed maze, and you get, actually get murdered in there. Yeah. Wow. All right. Hey, uh, let's get Danny McBride in here. <laughs> no, I know. I think I think that's already a thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that's already a thing. They already covered all their ground. Yeah. Uh. But uh. So yeah, I- I'm excited and uh, like you know it is what it is. All right. Moving on. Speaking of um, sequels, yeah. uh, we got uh, another season of Sabrina. Yep. I'm gonna go a little bit lighter on this one because we've seen one season so far, and I'm gonna talk a little bit next week about this whole false sense of urgency thing, and I don't want to di- dive too much into it this week because we got a stacked agenda. Like I said, I'll go into it next week. But I think the first season was kind of very much in the same vein as Stranger Things first season. It had this kind of self-encompassing story. Everybody got their moments. It was well done, well executed. Um, and then we got the Christmas special thing, which is also pretty good. Um, what do you think of this new trailer? Um, I like it. Uh, I think I like how she's like gotten like full-blown demon hunter. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. But um, yeah, I mean... Um, I'm not overwhelmed by it, but I think it's you know I think it's gonna be solid. I like the first season a lot. Um, I really love the the platinum blonde hair look on her. I think it's it great, fucking metal. Um, but um, I feel like that's a very hard look to pull off. Absolutely, yeah. With you know, it is what it is. But um, I'm interested in what, uh, what the story has moving forward. Uh, I want to see a little bit more of Ambrose this season. That would be great. Yeah, man, he really was kind of stealing the show towards the end of that season. Yeah, so was Harvey. Harvey got really good near the end of the season too. So I want to see a little bit more of that dynamic. Of uh, kind of the whole Sabrina Harvey relationship and how it's kind of evolved and changed. Um, 
I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. That's coming out next month, right? Is it next month? April. April, I, I think. Thought. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm just cranking them up. Yeah. Anyway, good for her. Yeah. Sure she's cashing out on that. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what it looks like moving forward. Awesome. So, uh, we watched a movie last weekend, and this is a movie I, I wanted to see in theaters, but we never got around to it. We watched Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. and if you don't know, it's a movie about Queen and Freddie Mercury. Um, man, where do, where do I start with this thing? There's a lot to cover here. Um, I think first and foremost, you should go into this movie thinking that it's not a documentary. Because according to some people, that the Queen timeline in the movie is off. It's not right. Um, that being said, it doesn't present itself as a documentary. It presents itself as a drama. Mm-hmm. I think it does an excellent job at that. And it kind of documents the life of Freddie Mercury, you know, before he was Freddie Mercury, because that's what he had his name legally changed to. Um, and kind of the rise and fall and rise again of Queen. Right. And man, I, I think the only real thing I could say about this movie is that after watching it, I think I have a, a like a rekindled, a rekindled love for Queen and a, like a brand new found respect for Queen. Like there's always that thing where it's like Queen is one of the greatest bands ever. Absolutely. But I feel like after you watch this, you really do understand like you're not accepting that Queen is the greatest band ever. You are understanding that Queen is one of the greatest bands ever. Is uh, was was your household a Queen household at all? Did you have it? My dad, my father enjoyed Queen, but we were predominantly like Floyd, Pink Floyd. That, yeah. that was big in my house. And you know, when I was growing up, it was like Floyd, Manson, Slipknot. You know, mm. your classic like newish metal yeah. guys influenced with whatever your pops was listening to. I think that's a good chunk of you know our age group. Mm-hmm. But Queen was always kind of in the background. And I always kind of understood the story like Freddie Mercury died of AIDS. And they had all these great fucking bangers and stuff. But going through the movie, they used different singles throughout the movie to kind of highlight. The story, yeah. Yeah. And you don't realize how many fucking absolute bangers they have they until bangers, you're like, yeah. yeah, Queen made that. Oh, yeah, they made that. And then this and that. And then, like, holy shit, it's just culminating, and all this stuff is building up, and, you know, Freddie Mercury's getting crazier and crazier as the movie progresses, and it was really, really phenomenal at the end, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see all of it. I saw the portion of it. My mom had, like, rented it or whatever, and we were picking up the little girl, and I watched the portion of it. Now, my household was a queen household my dad was a huge huge fan so i you know i've know we all know the bangers right but you're absolutely right you know going through you're like oh man i told yeah i did forget about that song and just constantly going through it and just so such good material such a talented band i actually saw some footage um the other day of brian may playing um um welcome to the black parade with my chemical romance at at reading festival that was kind of cool you know it's funny the movie was going on and somebody was like uh they're like, oh, Brian May, you should, uh, you know, like cut your hair or shave your head. And I look at Maddie and I was like, he's in the movie. He was like, no, I'm never fucking doing that. And I look at Maddie. I was like, yeah, he still hasn't. To yeah. this day. <laughs> it's, it's still the, the same haircut. You know, he's like tremendously intelligent, right? They're all tremendously intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is an electrical. Well, they were going to be like an electrical engineer. One of them was doing like aerophysics. And mm. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, very, it's very, very, very cool. And um, yeah, man, I mean, Queen is what Queen is, man. They're like you said, one of the greatest rock bands of all time. Uh, one of the greatest frontmen of all time, greatest vocals of all time. It's just, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, seeing uh, speaking about that frontman thing, because I think it's very easy for us to appreciate a good frontman and to kind of point out a dull or flat frontman, right? Because we've both been kind of in that spectrum, that limelight, and we understand what we're looking for. Seeing how he acted off stage and then seeing how he acted on stage was very little difference. Yeah. And now you totally understand why he came out there in like those leather suits and yeah. you know those 
It, it was it was him turned up to eleven. Yeah, it's that's like a very good way of putting it. Because that, I think it's you know any front man. I think any good front man. It's it's really just an extension on who you are. It's just turned up to eleven. All of your little mannerisms, maybe all of the little quirky things that you do, become kind of synonymous with who you are as a vocalist and a front man. And he, like I just love how they explained the whole half uh, half microphone stand thing. How it was just getting his way, so he fucking kicked off the back end, and then he has the top half that he's walking around with, which is very. Very, very iconic, the whole thing. Um, yeah, man. I, I guess I saw it and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And, uh, man, freaking Pretty Mercury, what a yeah, fucking man. talent. If, if you haven't seen it and you grew up around Queen, check out the movie. I think it was totally worth all that time. I saw the I, I saw a documentary about him, and he's a tremendously inter- interesting person, especially with his relationship with that girl. But, like, extremely interesting. It's funny because he left her everything after he died. He left her everything. He, he had a lover. He didn't leave shit. He left her everything, everything. Yeah. So, so the movie ends. The climax of the movie is the concert Live Aid, which is you know the Queen show. This is the probably one of the greatest rock concerts of all time. And that's where it ends off. And I think you could have very easily taken it to the day that Freddie Mercury died in his mm-hmm. last public appearance. But why would you? Yeah. Why would you not leave the crowd on that hundred ten percent buzz right there? Yeah. And it, you know, it does kind of explain it a little bit with the, like the, as the credits are rolling, they, you know, with the pictures and like, oh, Freddie Mercury died of AIDS in 1992. That's that. And I think that was a very good way of wrapping it up. Yeah. Because coming from that crazy upside down off the wall train ride that was that Queen movie, yeah. I think the only way you could have ended it is at that Live Aid concert. Absolutely. And yeah, man, if you haven't watched it all the way through, Please do. Yeah, there's a because like when it comes to biopics, I think it's kind of interesting to where people decide to cut it off. So like I saw the fighter. You ever watch the fighter with uh, Mark Wahlberg? Yes, I've seen the fighter. He uh, he played uh, Mickey Ward, and Mickey Ward was an actual fighter. And they cut off his biopic before arguably the greatest boxing trilogy of all time versus him versus Arturo Gatti. And it was like right before that they decided that they wanted to end the film. It's like how do you not include? What he's the synony- climax of this dude's life. That the, what, literally what he is synonymous for, and that is fucking 30, or 30 rounds of boxing against this one guy where they just beat the shit out of each other for 30 rounds. Have you ever watched the fight? you ever actually watched those fights? I've seen highlights. I've never seen the full thing. It's incredible, dude. And like um, like, like I said, it's, it's kind of important where they, where they cut these things off when it comes to biopics because yeah, it's kind of... That's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, where this one ended up on kind of the high point, right? I think it's interesting. Um... I, I do want to finish it because I watched it. I'm like, yeah, I want to watch it. And I was like, yeah, we'll get to it eventually, which we will. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm interested. It's a great movie. Yeah, yeah it was. Well, if you would have saw it last year, what would have fell in? Three. Three? Three. Oh, okay. Excellent. Uh, still Halloween, mid-90s, and then I think Bohemian Rhapsody would have been right there. Cool. Excellent. Let's keep it moving. All right. Let's talk some gaming. Um, so last week we said we're going to play a game called Guess My Main for MK11. And we're going to chat a bit about MK11 news after this. Um. You go first. Who do you think I'm going to main? Because I have a pretty strong feeling I know who I'm going to main. Cabal. No. Noob? Nope. Well, Noob does look like a lot of fun. Oh, my God. And I'll get around to Noob. Yeah, we'll get Um, to that. But it's somebody you wouldn't expect. It's been confirmed. It's been announced. Is there a trailer out? For this character? Yeah. 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 Yeah? Yeah. We've seen this character and we've seen gameplay footage. How about that? Hmm. I don't know. Who did I hate playing in MKX? Kotal. Yeah. You're going Kotal? I don't know what they did to him. 
I really don't know what they did to an MK11, but I was watching this footage and I was like, I can get behind this flow. Yeah. I don't know if they sped him up or if they made the timings a bit different, but I think he's got a lot more tools. Tools. Yeah. Tools is the word. Because you played, what was it? Sun God. I think Sun God was the one with the disc and the beam. Yeah. And that was a lot of setup. Mm -hmm. And granted, you still have some of that same setup tools you get in MKX version. But I feel like this one has a lot more kind of rush down potential. Absolutely. That you see, and he has, the disc is always great, and seeing it evaporate when it hits you is fucking phenomenal. But yeah. I just like what how this small tweaks here and there, and they almost completely changed this character, my outlook on this character, because he was very slow, he was very beefy, the hitbox was massive, and it was hard to, he had these crazy long input strings. Yeah. He really did in MKX, but... Looking at this, I can really kind of get behind this mentality. Interesting. And, you know, granted, we'll see when the game comes out. But right now, Kotal Noob is kind of what I'm feeling out of everybody we've seen. Yeah, I definitely share some of that sentiment with with when it comes to Kotal because I was looking at him and, like, he wasn't somebody that I was necessarily looking forward to hearing information about. But, you know, I'm like, whatever. It was expected, but it was like, eh. Yeah. And, um, I mean, out of all the characters from 10, he's probably, like, middle of the road. He's definitely not Ferritor bad, but, you know. It is what it is, but um, his henchman was infinitely cooler than him. Yeah, uh, but I looked and yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting gameplay. There, there's elements. a rhythm to Kotal. There really is. Yeah, and I feel like you get those with classic characters like Sonya. Johnny has a bit of a rhythm. Liu Kang, especially, mm-hmm. and Kung Lao. Those two are yeah. probably the most prominent. But Kotal, as I was watching the gameplay, there was like this little instrumental in the back of my head, and I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he looked really interesting to me. And uh, I was going to dabble a little myself. Now, if you had to guess mine, where, who? I got kind of two potential ones. Um, one of them is kind of a cop-out because I know you said this. But uh, that one would be in Sonya Blade. I'm not going to get into that. We talked about it. I think you'll actually really enjoy Jade. Jade? You think so? I think so because she has a little bit of everything you like. You got your distancing. You got your, you know, flying across the screen kind of beat down. And you got your mid-range pokes Yeah. with her staff. And I think... The whole thing with Jade and why I think you'll enjoy her is because she seems from her combos and her strings that there's like a dozen different ways to end it or extend it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you'll appreciate about her. Interesting. And, you know, I know you had some issues with the costume, but cosmetics should be the least of your worries in this game Mm because it's completely changeable at this point. But I just think that the way she moves and bounces and how you can connect everything, I think you'll appreciate that. That's just kind of my analysis. Interesting. Uh, Actually... Kind of going on the same boat that you had. Um, I picked mine in my head. Noob. No. 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 Who do you think? We, we saw. We saw. saw. Is it Sonya? No. You picked yours. Is it in the demo or the? No. It's, it's it's somebody that we saw footage of, but it's not. Was it Cabal? No. No, not Cabal. I, I'm going. I, I Based on her gameplay, I think I'm going Jackie, bro. Honest to God, uh, I was looking at her her tools. I like that command grab that has different enders. Yeah. It's fucking violent. It's nice extenders. It's kind of the constant in-your-face pressure, which I enjoy. Um, obviously, until Katana drops, which, you know, then the whole all bets are off. Because, um, like, looking back, I'm not really, like, sold on Cassie the way she plays in this game. And that's sad because Cassie was my ultimate. You go to? Yeah, my ultimate ass kicking machine uh, but for this particular game I looked at Jackie and I'm like Jackie has some of those tools that I think that Cassie that had. Miss. yeah that Cassie had um, 
Yeah, I think Jade. I think Jade's probably a very, a very interesting perspective on your part. I think that's kind of funny because I didn't even I, consider I Jade. What I saw in Jade is what you see in Jackie. So I think it'll be a matter of how they feel in the hand. Yeah, maybe because both of them look like they have share some tools. Yep. Maybe not visually, but yep. you know, principle wise. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, speaking of uh, Mortal Kombat news, we've had a variety. Probably of- the best character drop since the rebirth of mk in nine honestly maybe so I, I i'm putting all bets on this noob cybot is back yeah he is and i got some words yeah i got some choice cut usda grade a beef okay words holy shit he looks fucking phenomenal <laughs> um yeah wow he's got that scarecrow vibe from dc d- yep that the sickle thing is that, very that fleam yeah. yeah, that's used to skin people. Flame. Fun fact. I don't know if it's actually called a flame. That's what they. You ever seen Futurama? Yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, Lur from the Planet Omicron first yeah, That's what his son calls it because he had a flame. Um. Anyway, I think. Oh man, I got so many like theories bouncing back and forth. First of all, I want to talk about gameplay. Uh huh. This mechanic that we saw in what was it Deception with Smoke and Noob. That's not smoke. Why does everybody keep on thinking that's smoke? I, I know it's not smoke, but that's the way it played in Deception, right? It was yeah, those yeah. two. It was the tag team. Yeah. That kind of mechanic is back, and I think it's very interesting because I think a lot of fans were kind of looking forward to it because Noob on his own, I think his moves are rather generic. But looking at look at like Mortal Kombat Armageddon and Mortal Kombat Nine, what other was he like a standalone? I think those two are it, right? Well, he was uh, also in Trilogy. Uh, His moves are kind of stealing all of them. He was also in F- Gold, if you count that. Yeah, but like, like, look at it. He has a teleport and a couple of other, like, you know, like the whole invisibility thing. Yeah. But I think they really fleshed out his specials, his combos, and the way he interacts with other characters in this version of Noob Saibot. And I think it's something very interesting because it's I'm, a culmination of everything. I'm glad they brought back the sidebot because there was a while because obviously with Tobias when he left they stopped they dropped the whole sidebot from his name yeah and they just called him Noob. I'm glad they brought sidebot back. I like that. Maybe Ed Boon got over it. And I was always of the philosophy that Noob was the character that you play and sidebot was the clone that he threw out. That was always my philosophy. I don't know if that's like lore or anything like that, but um, yeah. So watched it. Blew my fucking mind. Um, I th- it, it totally flew under our radar. It was until Phil was like, hey, y'all see that noob trailer? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I was at work. So uh, I was actually walking my new hires to the areas as I was watching it. And then I get, didn't get the full, you know, to actually look at it fully, fully until I got back to the office. But um, that shit. First off, silky smooth. Looks fucking flawless as far as like the moves. Uh he had a move with the when he it was like a almost like a uh, like a back two or something like that where he like almost uppercuts with the sickle but the sickle turns into the clone and it drops them and slams them and it goes into a fucking bounce. Uh, I think as far as combo potential so far, the most he probably has one of the most the most intriguing kind of loadout so far. If you played Kenshi Balance, I think you'll find solace in this new version of Noob Saibot. Absolutely. So th- there's that. Um, he looks great. I fucking love that Takunin. Uh, cyber initiative level that they showed too, where you actually see bits and pieces of Cyrax laying off to the side, and you see like I think it looks like Cyber Sub Zero kind of hanging hanging out over there. I'm really interested in that. 
um, kind of because I like the whole cyber initiative kind of storyline. So thing. I think the big thing here is which timeline is this noob from? Is it from the old timeline, the new timeline? We don't know. And my whole big thing was that when I saw this costume, I was like, that looks like Ermac. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, there's also an army of Ermacs. I totally forgot about that, you know, because mm-hmm. Ermac's kind of this character I never really give a shit about. Collection of souls. That's all he is. Yeah. And then I was like, well, what if Noob's soul spun out of that tornado and possessed an Ermac body? Because it... Those costumes are very similar. They, they do have the... He does have that kind of dripping hoodie kind of a look. Is it raining? Yeah, it's, it's dripping just a little bit. Uh-huh. But... Um, and then seeing the, the whole clone thing, the clone looks like OG Noob. It looks like OG Noob, but the, but some of the properties it looks it it does look like smoke. Some of the properties, uh, especially with that fucking fatality, which was so fucking tasty, good, Ugh. tasty, tasty, tasty. Speaking of good fatalities, Kotokan that that fatality is so fucking vicious. I still like the Noob one better, but yeah, that Kotokan one was vicious. Yeah, it was um, brutal. So. That's you know the the reveal. Obviously, they did that C two E two being a Chicago based company, kind of cool. Uh, but what I want to talk about is some of the information that he covered on the Combat Cast. Sure. So uh, they have talked about the jet, the dash, and how they're going to fix it. Uh, it's going to be character, character based. So some characters will have an increased dash speed. Sub Zero being one of them. Excellent. More aggressive Sub Zero. Very cool. Yep. And uh, this it's going to be on a character by character basis because they don't want everybody to feel the same way, which is like obviously kind of the mission statement of this game is they want everybody to be a little bit different uh, from each other, which is awesome. And I think it's the right way to fix it. I don't think everybody needs a dash. I don't think a Kotal Khan needs a dash, for instance. But it'll be hilarious if he gets one, though. Yeah, he'll <laughs> <laughs> be like a juggernaut from X Men. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. But uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that they're they're doing it based on character and not necessarily being like a full-blown mechanic that they're going to apply to everybody i think that's the perfect way to do it uh, because if you're kind of that if you want some of that rushdown kind of mentality then you got to pick the right character and you got to learn them you can't you can't force a character to fit into the you can't force a square peg to fit in a round hole and that's basically what they're trying to eliminate every character is going to feel a little bit different and um that's how they're fixing it should be good man this yep. honestly this new reveal oh so tasty i love it it's funny because i feel like uh especially from like the community standpoint there was a lot of I don't want to say negativity, but a lot of worry when it comes to the game and how it feels. I feel like they're addressing a lot of those problems. So it's kind of awesome. I think. Did you see uh, what he tweeted the other day? No. He tweeted a picture of some dude in a mask, and he's like, are you all ready for some rain? JK, it's not rain. I'm like, God damn it, dude. Why you got to do this? Speaking of fucking uh, information that's interesting. um, So they announced Shang Tsung, going to be the first DLC. Played by, what's his name? Kerry Tagawa, I think is his name. He's the guy who played Shang Tsung in the movie. Uh, he does the voicing and cool. all the facial facial animations. Uh, it looks like an old school Shang Tsung. He has the old beard and kind of looks like an old Chinese mystic. And uh, Yeah, I like that version of Shang Tsung. Yeah. I did enjoy the red gold drapes, but uh, there's he, something about that classic Shang Tsung. He was almost too too like Chinese emperor looking with that to me. You think so? The whole Dendi Alanis look. I think it could go either way, but... Yeah. yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad to see he's got that old long ass mustache, mm-hmm. the handlebars that go. Hee. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so that's interesting. I mean, you know, people obviously threw a fucking shit fit. Oh, so you're saying he's in the game? You got to pay for him. I mean, that's just fucking second nature at this point, right? I mean, there's a lot of games that announce DLC before the game comes out. It is what it is. Um, but Boone confirmed no loot boxes of any kind 
in this game. Uh, it's funny because this person's like, so microtransaction and loot box. He's like, no loot boxes. <laughs> That's what he said. I mean, obviously. Damn, shut that shit down real quick. Yeah, no loot boxes. But the microtransaction thing is still kind of up in the air, obviously, because, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, he shut down the whole loot boxes thing. Everybody freaked out. Uh, C2E2 crowd seemed to be eating all that shit up. And I love how they did you see the the presentation? Like no, I didn't. Stop. So uh, they were like talking about fatalities and how they kind of created. So they had the one of the designers of the fatality team kind of like walk you through it. They're like, okay, well after this step, you show we're gonna show you you know motion capture, and then the next slide was Noob standing there, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, she's like, oh wrong slide, <laughs> and then she's like, okay, let's finish off this presentation, and then they showed us Noob and what he looks like. So NRS has got a good sense of humor and a good way of presenting things. Absolutely. So um, I think it's kind of cool. I like it. So. Um, they're doing good work. They're doing two God's, weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, they're doing God's work. So gotta appreciate them for that. Very cool. Um, you put this next one down on here. Modern Warfare Four. Yeah. So um, obviously that's next uh, in the whole Call of Duty thing, and I know a lot of the listeners and myself included have had a kind of a uh, collective eye roll. But um, I put what's the difference, right? Because obviously Black Ops Four uh, was, you know. A decent, a moderate success, especially with the whole blackout thing and all that. Uh, they basically Activision and Infinity Ward have kind of talked about what they're going to do next, and um, no battle royale. They decided that they weren't going to do it, and um, no specialists. I believe. I think they're going to try to go back to basics. Now, this is like a dual prong. Here's the thing. I'm gonna stop you right there. Mm-hmm. When. People like you or I say back to basics and we're talking about music or movies or games. It has meaning. When companies like Activision and Infinity Ward drop back to basics, it can mean fucking anything. And it it's almost like hollow words at that point, really. Because when you said, well, we're going back to ba-, I literally rolled my fucking eyes. Like, great. Because we're getting the Modern Warfare 2 remaster this year, too. And that's going to be back to basics. Yeah. And, you know, the last remaster is back to basics. And Modern Warfare 3 is back to basics. Yeah. And here's the remaster trilogy. And Black Ops 1, back to basics. You know? Yeah. You feel me? I got you. It's just I don't have trust in their words anymore. That's fair. But I think um, the most interesting thing is how successful the Blackout mode was and how much everybody liked it, right? I think it's it's a, it's a double-edged sword because I think they show incredible restraint for not hopping on that bandwagon and tacking it on, which is something Infinity Ward would do and something Activision would force Infinity Ward to do. Uh, but also, I think it's kind of funny because the one thing they probably should have copied and translated over to the next game, they didn't. So uh, I think it's kind of funny, uh, kind of from that perspective. Uh, so they said they're going to have a, sing- uh, you know, a single player, which is good because the last game didn't have one. I don't know. I'm not going to buy it. Uh, so whose turn is it this year? Infinity Ward? Was it Sledgehammer? Because Infinite Warfare was Infinity Ward. Infinite Warfare, World War Two. Was Sledge? Black Ops, Infinity Ward, Sledgehammer. So it's Infinity Ward. So if they're doing a Modern Warfare Four, you think they're going to try and bundle Modern Warfare Two with it, and upcharge it ten bucks? A hundred fifty percent. I wouldn't necessarily be upset about that. Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> mm, I think it's an interesting thing. We'll see. We'll see when it comes out. Um, my whole thing is that what are you possibly going to do with the Modern Warfare lineup now? What can you possibly do? Advanced Warfare kind of, you know, granted, people feel strongly one way or the other about Advanced Warfare, but it'll do new things. Where did you stand on, on it? Uh, 
I think the point progression system was excellent. I think the initial implementation of the whole jetpack thing was okay for the first go. I think Infinite Warfare did that better, but there was a lot of things wrong with Infinite Warfare. As a move forward, as a step forward, I think it was good. But as a rolling snowball down a hill, maybe not so much. Because uh-huh. it paved the way for a lot of things that we, we ended up hating. Yeah. And I think it was a good step. But leap-wise, it was, oh, man, looking back at it, you know? Yeah. But how could you know 10 years ago or Ab- five years ago? Absolutely. So uh, I'm, where I stand on the Advanced Warfare, I fucking loved it. I thought it was fun. It was proper. I loved the fucking Advanced the, Movement the, System. Oh, man, that map with the with the buses? Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck yeah. that map. Um, I loved it. I honestly, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I played a lot of it. It's probably the last Call of Duty I played a lot of, probably. Um, I liked it. But like you said, that's that was the, the the starting point of like the loot box thing and the weapon variation thing and everybody where everybody got really polarized and started to hate it. Yeah, I mean, did a lot of good things, but it's kind of the same setup with Black Ops. Why did we love the OG Black Ops? The story, story. mode was great. The multiplayer was simple, and zombies was excellent. Mm-hmm. And they nailed two of those, which was multiplayer, I guess. And zombies, I guess. And I, you know, you got to add that little asterisk. It's just my question is, Black Ops 4 takes place, what, 100, 200 years from where Black Ops 1 and 2 took place? No, actually, Black Ops 4 is actually a prequel to Black Ops 3. Okay. <laughs> yeah, put that together. But you uh, see what I'm what I'm saying here, yeah. right? Where's Modern Warfare going to go with this? Are we going to get Modern Warfare like now, like 2020-ish era? Or is it going to be Modern Warfare 200 years down the line? Or well, that, is it going to be... That wouldn't be modern warfare. Yeah, but you never know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Because, no, oh, oh man, think, think about this. What is the last modern-ish Call of Duty game we got? Modern Warfare 3? Uh, Infinite, Advanced, we're in the future. World Black, War Two is in the past. Black Ops 2 was in the future. Not super far in the future. Yeah, like, yeah it wasn't like crazy it was, it was like 30, plausible it was like 30 years in the future or something like that and they were like, yeah they weren't over the top with it and then they went full on robots with us in, in so black ops 3 Modern Warfare three depending on how you want to look at it between those two yeah probably yeah, right i guess Modern Warfare three was a bit in the future but it was still very grounded yeah so what are they gonna do with four I don't know. That's my thing. My question is how, like, they kind of closed that the chapter of that story pretty pretty well. I mean, like, I'm not the biggest proponent of the Modern Warfare story outside of the first one. Obviously, that's fucking classic. I'd even say the second one was great too, but that's true. Yeah, um, but you know, Makarov's dead. <laughs> you know, but, 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 surprise, he's not. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot of concerns I have, and then you know, let's say they do bring it back to. Back to basics, as they want to say, where it has that Modern Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 1 through 3 feel, right? Whatever you want to, whichever one was your favorite, whatever one you want to emulate the most, right? And then people are going to be like, this is too slow. Why y'all slowing Call of Duty down? When did you hit fatigue on it? What do you mean? On Call of Duty. I'm not too sure what you're trying to ask. Like, when when did you start to get sick of it? Like, game. Modern Warfare 3 was when I noticed that I wasn't enjoying it as much because it was uh, the big red one was my first Call of Duty game. It was like, like two, 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 uh, played a little bit of three, four, you know, everybody. I feel like, I feel like that's the story for every fucking Call of Duty player these days where 
like everybody forgets the first one, which fair enough, it's old, you know, maybe it's the age gap, I don't know, or the age thing. And I was the same way because two was my first one. Big red one. Yeah, I like I like two. Two was cool. Proper. Uh, and then three was like, okay, I played a little bit of it. And, and everybody's like, four was when the, the bubble burst. Yeah. And then Modern Warfare 2 was when everything burst, uh, especially those new tubes. And then Black Ops 1, great. Don't, don't you disrespect World at War. All right. Oh, I totally forgot about World at War. That was great too. Yeah. That was fun. But yeah, man, Modern Warfare 3 was the first time I was kind of like, I don't uh, even think I prestiged in that game, to be honest with you. I prestiged twice. And I, I prestiged twice. And I hated every fucking minute of it. I played it. And I'm like, this is why I like Treyarch games. And that was kind of like my whole mindset. Yeah, I think there was a point in time where I was playing Modern for 3 and I went back to Black Ops. I was like, this is better. Yeah, absolutely. I did the same. Um, like, I can't take it anymore. Um, and then, honestly, like, I feel like right after that, right after 3, which at that point would have been what? Advanced Warfare? Or Black Ops 2? Would have been after that, right? Yes, Black yes, Ops yeah. 2? After Black Ops 2, outside of Advanced Warfare, because I played a lot of it and I had fun with it, it just really started to get more more background. More of a chore. Yeah, more of a background kind of a thing. Didn't want to do it, didn't want to play it, but everybody plays it, you know. Um, there's some mild level of enjoyment because it's familiar. You know what I mean? You'll always enjoy well, it a little bit. Well, here's my thing, because we, we installed and played Iron Sight, which is a Black Ops 2 complete ripoff, right? There's no, there's no getting around that. But it's nice because compared to like Apex or Siege or Mortal Kombat, it's just this quick, mindless shooting. Yeah. And it's a nice break every once in a while. Yeah. And I think that's what your casual gamer wants. I don't think they want to devote and commit and learn and, you know, get over that curve. You could do, I could do other things while playing Call of Duty. I could listen to podcasts. You podcast. could listen to music. Yeah, podcast music. I don't need You could, you know, have something in the background, like a flash game or something. Audiobook. I, I've done Absolutely. plenty, plenty of good stuff, and that's kind of where it excels at. Yeah, because the fami- the familiarity of it, it's easy. I know it like the back of my hand. You yeah, know what I mean. So we'll see what happens with Modern Warfare Four. Cover. I think moving forward, it's going to be very loosely covered uh, because very minimal interest. When especially when Infinity War is involved, I have no interest <laughs> at all. You remember when they were the good. No, publisher. they they had one great game to me, and that was it. Uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious to see, uh, not about four, but about World War for two, if that whole no Russian thing is going to make a resurgence where people are going to be That's freaking the fuck out. Interesting. I didn't even think about because ten years ago it was already kind of a big deal. Yeah, they they, were, they had a, an opportunity for you to shut it out. And I feel ten years ago people were less sensitive, less sensitive, and now now it's going to be a full on boycott. Hmm. So we'll see. I didn't even think about that. Well, because. I remember when I bought it and you played it. And then I think like a two or three weeks later, they dropped this update. And then when you booted up the game, it gave you the warning. Like, hey, there's a mission in this game that would be considered offensive and all this stuff to some people. Do you want to skip it? It's like, hell no, I don't want to skip it. Yeah. Ah, I wonder. So, so we'll see if we'll see a, like a comeback of, I, of parents flipping out over that. They should, infl- they, should have, they should implement it the same way they implemented it the first time. You want to, it, it could be, it could be considered offensive and it is, I mean, the thing's definitely, it's definitely borderline, but, um, you know, I think they should implement it the same way. Okay. Well, when you buy your kids games like this, if you're not old enough to understand the concept of war, why should you be playing call of duty? Hmm. Mm. That's a, that's a chat for another day. What Absolutely. else we got on this, uh, gaming docket? Let's look. Um, Ah, uh, yeah. So let's talk Google Strata. Yeah. I feel like we talked about this game streaming service last week. 
and now Google's throwing their head into the ring. Yep. What do you think? I kind of got my opinions about this whole service. I think, I mean... So, so what is it first and foremost? It's, it's a console, I it, guess. It's quote-unquote console. Yeah. It's a, but you stream games via the cloud. Yeah. Essentially. It's a, uh, you know, they announced they're, they're going to kind of jump jump into this market and see what happens. Um, I don't know if now is the appropriate time to announce such a thing. Maybe it is the perfect time. I don't know. Maybe because we're, we're about to be in between generations in a minute. I don't know. But um, I think it's kind of interesting timing. I think Google doing this five years ago would have been a hell of a lot more interesting. A hell of a lot more interesting. Well, there's already somebody doing it a couple of years ago. NVIDIA was doing it, this whole game streaming service thing. Yeah. And you could actually stream games with Steam. So this isn't new technology. This is just kind of becoming mainstream. Yeah. If we're being here, like... This is hardcore when hardcore was leaking into when people are like, yeah, I know what hardcore is before, you know, what the fuck is that yeah. type of stuff. My issue, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a very easily accessible method of giving players the full experience because it's com- comparable to uh, 1X Scarlet, whatever, right? You can stream four, 4K games at 60 FPS. That's cool. And I think that's really cool for people who can't necessarily you know, afford that a PC or, you know, the high tier Xbox ones. My big issue is that now everything is becoming as a service model and I hate it. Yeah. There's no more owning anything. Yep. And I hate it, hate it, hate it. Yeah. You have to pay somebody to, you got to pay monthly. It's like, it's like, I hate it's, it. it's like li- licensing. It's not even owning anymore. I hate it. Yeah. It's disgusting. Cause back then you could have gotten Adobe Photoshop for the 160 bucks or whatever was up front. You would have been good. And now it's like, well, if you want to keep using it every month, I hate that. Ten dollars, <laughs> and that's for the basic one. You want the nice one? It's fifteen a month. I hate it, and uh-huh. that's my big issue. Uh huh. I think it's cool in concept, but there's no way it's not going to be streaming as a service. Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know. Um, it, it, it's like I said, it, it's at a we're at a point right now where it's just so crowded in this market. You know what I mean? There's a bazillion things going on. And whether you're, you know, like you said, kind of the Steam and video people, or if you're a console gamer, or if you're a hardcore PC gamer, like where do you, where does this person fit? What is who is this marketing toward? Marketed towards? Yeah, that's a good question too. You know what I mean? Because the PC gamers have their PC. You know what I mean? They're not going to yeah. stray. They're not going to stray away from that. And they're making it casual with the remote and making it similar to the Xbox thing. But we already have a console. We already bought one. It's going to be that weird in-betweener, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's, it's a weird place to put this because, like I said, we're, we're about to change generations in the, probably within the next year, year and a half probably, right? Or at least start the process of changing generations. Kind of start winding down the games and exclusives. And yeah. And moving on to the next start thing. Start dropping commercials and stuff. But it's, it's interesting. And... Like I said, I think it's a very cool way of accessing and doing this and providing this to people who normally wouldn't have the funds. But at the end of the day, it's like leasing a car. When your lease is up, yeah, you can go buy it outright. But unless you have the ten grand saved up or whatever it is that your end lease is at, why would back. you? Yep. Give it back. And that's what I'm hating about everything right now. It's interesting because it's like you said, it's almost changing kind of the philosophy of it of it all and how long before sony and microsoft are committed to such things because so both of them are already committed to this because sony has the ps now yeah 
and Xbox has but, their whatever it is that I, you can. But I'm saying like moving forward into the future where this is like the only option. When does PS Plus become the service model in which we stream games? And once, yeah, like what, at what point in time do you stop actually buying physical copies? Yeah, and you tell your kids like, yeah, well, you know, back in two thousand one when we wanted to play a game, you bought it. You have to beg your mom to go to GameStop, or GameFly, or Play and Trade, or Blockbuster because they used to have games at Blockbuster. Yes, they did. And you had to beg and plead, and then the the game clerk would read out why this is an M-rated game to your mom, and you just had to be like, uh, can I still get it? Shut the, shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, man, it's definitely moving towards that platform, and I hate everything about it. I don't know. I, I like guess. owning stuff. I don't like leasing stuff. Even now, like with the whole digital download thing, like I do it, but I feel I feel weird about it. Like I don't like it because I feel like there's a situ- there's a, there might be a situation where I lose that content that I paid for. You know, what if you know? Granted, you probably won't. But what if you hop over to Microsoft next gen? I'll never do that. But yeah, you're I'm, right. I'm just saying, like, yeah. you know, for example, like what if you're just, you know, PS5 is a total shit show, which I'm sure it won't be, but for whatever reason you hop, like I did, like I hopped. I don't have any of my Microsoft stuff unless I boot up my 360. That thing is a dinosaur. It feels like it takes forever to wake up now. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm, just kind of interesting dynamic. Yeah. And what we've come to. So we're talking about interesting dynamics. Jesus. Disney yeah. and EA finally. They pulled the cord on that life support machine. Yeah, they're, uh, Disney is telling EA that basically they're going to start looking in market, looking in-house to create their own games, kind of re- so, resurrecting LucasArts. So, 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 here's the thing. For those of you who are around long enough for LucasArts, those are the golden days of Star Wars games. Yes and no. A good chunk of what they cranked out was gold. Masters of Terracassis. I had that. Did you know that? I actually had that. It was it was a terrible fighting game. It was an even even worse Star Wars game. But we still got the Battlefront games. We got the Jedi Academy, Jedi Knight games. We got Force Unleashed. We got the Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, Force Unleashed is kind of middle tier. Story wise, it was interesting, but gameplay wise, what, play-wise, what it was very Star Wars good. games since the close of LucasArts has even come close? None. Exactly. Uh, I'd rather have something that's middle to upper tier as opposed to complete crap and a you know money cow fuck that bring back rogue squadron oh yeah. okay so <laughs> here's what i'm getting at um lucas art itself isn't being revived but there's a uh i can't remember what it's called it was like lucas film games i think it's what it's called there's job openings for this thing. Yeah, this most, is yeah, 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 yeah. a sub company. And so right now they're not hiring any sort of developers or anything like that. They're just hiring marketing people. So I'm curious to see if they have like a full-fledged staff already and what's going on with that stuff. Because if they're doing this in-house, I am completely back on. Back on the board? I am back on the board with Star Wars. Okay, fair because enough. Because everything that EA's cranked out in the past five years has been garbage Star Wars-wise. Five years. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's safe to say, bring back Republic Commando. Holy shit. What is up with you and Republic Commando? It was a great game. It was a fun game. I, it I was give a you that. great game. Um, Bounty Hunter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, there was a lot of good stuff in those LucasArts days. And I think if they're starting to develop in-house, maybe they'll subcontract. Like, hey, you guys make this. Or like, hey, we'll give you this title. You guys think you could do anything? Like, you're still a product of 
Lucasfilm games, but you know maybe you guys help develop. It's like the whole Raven so- Software thing with the whole Call of Duty thing. Raven Software has been involved in like every single Call of Duty development since, you know, probably Advanced Warfare, I think. And there's like they're the kind of that that side team where maybe they don't designate a full chunk of the game, but maybe like a side project or a different game mode or some type. And they kind of implement that. I think it's interesting. The last Star Wars game I was really excited for was thirteen thirteen, and we never got that. Yeah. And I think with this coming, this news b- being announced, I think there's a possibility of that maybe making a resurgence because they had a good chunk of assets done for that game. Who was um, behind it? That was right before they closed uh, LucasArts. Oh, so LucasArts had it then? LucasArts had it, and I think they closed when was bought. a month. Yeah. Because that was one of the first things Disney did. Let's close that shit down. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. that lines up. Hey, man, we might get a nice little Republic 3. We'll see. There's a lot of good stuff that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, man. So. And what do they say about making your stuff in house? I don't know. What if you go to a sandwich shop and they say, oh, we make all our stuff in house? You're reassured then, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm reassured right now. But it's funny that you say that because you're so anti Disney sometimes, I feel. I'm yeah. not anti-disney i'm just anti milking stuff till it's nothing till there's nothing left to enjoy that's what i'm against i enjoy disney properties i enjoy star wars properties when you do something like what ea did to desecrate the name of battlefront Rough. what's left to enjoy the the prettiness of it yeah it's a good looking game i guess it's a good decent game now i guess i hear i i, I still wouldn't spend the six dollars on it <laughs> and i won't <laughs> and that's just my thing I'm not anti-Disney. I'm just anti-frivolously throwing my money at things. That's what I'm against. I agree. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's see what happens moving forward. Fun fact. Uh, so I stayed up to 5 o'clock this morning, Gabe. Mm-hmm. I bought my very first wrestling game in probably about 10, 15 years. What would you buy? The new WWE 2K game. Cool. I, it's, I stayed up till 5 o'clock in the morning playing that fucking oh, yeah, game. Oh, yeah? a lot of fun? I, 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 it's, I, dude, it's so... Because we've come a long way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it is so fucking foreign to me, the way it feels compared to what I was used to. So I had to, like, relearn everything. I had this throwback WWF game that came out in 99 on the PS1. And it was still 2D, and it played almost like a pseudo-fighter. You know, like, Jeff Hardy was in it. Uh, what's his name? That big motherfucker was into it, and that clown dude. Uh, Shawn Michaels was in it. A lot of like oddball characters. Two, in 99? Yeah. 2D Fighter in 99. It was a wrestling 2D Fighter, yeah. I'm trying to think. I'll find it for you. But Please. Because yeah. I've don't. i never it heard. It was very oddball. It had like the weirdest cast of characters. Interesting. I'm about to check that out. That's interesting. Because you remember, um, we're going to the arcade and they had like the WWE arcade game. And like it was like instead of Undertaker like picking you up and doing a Tombstone Power Driver, he would hit you with a literal Tombstone. <laughs> Yeah, you pull a tombstone those. out of his pocket. I think it was Midway. I, I think Midway did that. Uh, he would pull a literal tombstone out of his pocket and hit you over the head with it. I think the last wrestling game I owned was like a 2001 or 2002 SmackDown game. When That's when Goldberg was still around. Oh, so that's probably 2003. Yeah, I think that's the last wrestling game here, I owned. Here Comes the Pain? That yeah. Was, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, that was it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, 10 years. And they're you know cranking them out every year. Yeah, it's granted to feel different. Hopefully, it's, it would it's hopefully feel super different. like it's confusing. Don't get me wrong, because like I said, it's very foreign. But like I will say, it's pretty, it's pretty smooth. It looks it's smooth. It it looks like a wrestling match for the most part. Very cool. Yeah. So it is what it is. All right. 
Uh, that's gaming, man. We fucking dude, gay. We had so much fucking shit on this, on this fucking podcast agenda this week. Very cool. Um, music. Yep. Let's go bottom up on this one. All right. Save the best for last. Woodstock is back for the 50th anniversary in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greta Van Fleet's playing. A couple other bands. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, the Killers. I think the Killers is a excellent pick for. The uh, vi- it's the vibe. It's a vibe thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, I like the Killers. I like them a lot. Uh, who else was on there? Yeah, Halsey and Miley, I guess. Oh, cool. Um, I think I don't dislike Halsey for the record. I think she's okay. All right, cool. Does it suck? The first one is good. Yeah. The first one's good, Maddie. Yes. Okay. Oh, you heard it there. First and foremost, <laughs> Halsey's number two fan. Um. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's interesting. I I mentioned it before. My dad was at the first Woodstock. You did. So I'm curious to see how he'd feel about this lineup. He'd probably be like, "Who are these people? Who are they?" <laughs> that's interesting. Why did Led Zeppelin change their name? <laughs> God damn it, that's so true though. But yeah, be on the lookout for that. I know there's some festival folks out there. Absolutely. All right. Uh Slipknot. Chris Fenn. Out. Yep. Out, out, out. I didn't even know about this whole lawsuit thing until you mentioned it really. Yeah, so I feel like it was kept under wraps. Yeah, so uh, basically he was suing them because um all he he was under the impression that all Slipknot's money was under a one company. Turns out there's a lot of subsidiaries in those companies that he didn't have any access to that people like Clown and Corey did. Uh, now there's multiple perspectives that a person can take on it. From what I see on the internet, a lot of people's like, "Oh, you does hit a fucking trash can, no big deal." Which, sure, that's exactly what clown does too. Yeah, sure. Uh, but uh, when you sign on for a band, it is a partnership, and you agree unless to specifically stated, stated otherwise, yeah. right? And these guys from Iowa, they weren't that savvy. I'm telling you that much to like break it up that way. Um, they made an agreement that he was going to be treated as an equal. And one way, whether you deem his involvement in the band important or his contributions to the band important is irrelevant. He is entitled to all the same money that everybody else is entitled to. Totally. So, you don't fuck with the dude's paycheck. And yeah. That's my, that's my like, and I think you, you mentioned it, and it's true. I mean, what does Chris Fenn have going on outside of Slipknot? Not much. Not much. Cor- I mean, Clown- Corey has another band. Clown has his art, his writing. Um, I think he has another band too. Sid has his DJ stuff. James Root has his DJ stuff. And his band. Then the other band. He was he's in Stow Sour too. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Well, that's that's what I said. Um, but Clown and Corey have three bands now that I think about it. Or Corey has three bands. Corey and James have three bands, including Slipknot. And so you're left with like Craig Owens, who this probably is... doesn't want to do anything. And I don't blame him. And Fenn and Mick Thompson. Yeah. But Mick is, uh, I think Mick has like guitar, like he works with companies with like guitars and manufacturing and stuff like that, I think. So, so has, like what, what's Chris Fenn doing outside of Slipknot? That's probably his primary source of income. Yeah, that's sad. It's, it's really sad. And now we're down to, uh, what is that, six? Six of the original well, we nine. we started with nine. No, I'm saying we're down to the orig- six of the original nine. Well, all right, because Joey Jordanson Gone. was kicked or whatever the story is. Mm-hmm. That's one down, so we're down to eight. Fenn's out, and that's seven. Paul. Paul. That's, yeah. Totally forgot about that. Yeah. So that's six of the nine. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if they're even going to replace Chris Penn. I don't think they would. I don't think they should. So that's eight. Yeah. Down to eight. Inside the eight doesn't have the same kind of. Uh... <laughs> it's interesting, man. Yeah. It is interesting. I, I think it's funny that it took him so long to figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he's gotten like he's getting like a full blown like financial forensic team forensics team getting behind this and looking into where all the money's coming from and where's it going. And all that. And I think <laughs> Slipknot commits tax fraud. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's got a legitimate chance of winning a pretty big case, pretty big settlement for them. I think. Now, uh, 
I guess we'll see what it has on the, what effects it has on the future of Slipknot. I think it's very interesting timing with the whole tour announced and new music and all that. What she's going to get a cut of because he was involved. So um, I just think, and I told you this, I just think it's interesting because, you know, when you retire from a place, because these guys are old, man. Clown, I think, is the oldest at like 60 ish. Yeah. Right? Almost 60, yeah. This dude just lost 25 years of tenure. Because I think Chris was there before Corey was there. Yeah. And. 25 years kind of down the drain and it sucks because you know you're not Slipknot doesn't have a 401k for as, as far as I know unless Roadrunner's providing him with something no, I, right? I probably imagine that they came up with something I mean they've been around so long that it wouldn't be stupid for them not to if Wait, they did you know it what it, I'm saying though no yeah no, no yeah, it just I feels know. like 25 years down the drain I don't think they're gonna give a give them a watch give away a watch or nothing like that you know what I mean but it's sad that to see and you know we've had our reservations about the newer stuff and this and that and but it's sad to see them kind of fall apart. Yeah. I think it's one thing to say we don't like the music, but it's a whole nother thing to see the cookie crumble. Yeah, absolutely. So that was my opinion on that. Uh, moving on. All right. Bumping up. MySpace lost the archives, the sacred so. relics of, what is it, between 03 and 15? All that music is gone, 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 gone. Yeah, so... Uh, I'm not too sure what happened, but fuck. I guess they are cleaning out their servers or I don't fuck. You're more tech savvy than I am, so I wouldn't understand, but I think it's... Tremendously hilarious. My favorite thing about the article is that it included a picture of Tom, even though he hasn't been involved in MySpace. And the one I saw actually had a snapshot from the uh, from uh, the Stick Stickly music video. There we go. I couldn't think of it. Did it? Yeah, it was hilarious. Well, where else are we going to find the Attack Attack demos now? Oh no, probably in like ten other sites. But <laughs> yeah, what are we gonna do? No, but regardless of your opinion of, of Attack Attack, MySpace <laughs> was kind of the music hub, man. It was. Spotify before Spotify, Apple Music before it was Apple Music. It was the place to get new band information, man. I remember scouring those pages for hours and hours and hours and looking up like Chicago bands and just these who did you discover? Deathcore bands. You already know who I discovered, man. As Blood Runs Black, Upon a Burning Body. Um, I'm sure there's Chelsea Grin was through MySpace. There was a bunch of bands that I still listen to that I found through MySpace. Um, uh, a Skylet Drive. You remember those guys? Ooh, found them wow. through MySpace. Steve Cut. Uh, who was that? Who did I get? I got. Um, I think I actually found Alex's on fire through my MySpace too. No, I, I knew about them. I've seen them before. But let me think. I'm trying to think because there there were some bands that I remember dis- very distinctly discovering. Uh, fuck, Amorosa, Amorosa, mm-hmm. and this is before uh, Johnny Craig got a hold of them. This is when Chris Rudder, who was on yeah, uh, like Moss the Flame. If you found Amorosa there, you probably found Seos in there too. Yeah, probably. Uh, bunch of bands, man. Yeah, a good chunk of bands were on MySpace. And now it's gone. Now it's gone. What I remember following MySpace. What would have never shot, never done without MySpace? They would have been dick. They would have been nothing. Yeah, man. Uh, the sacred texts are gone. So it's kind of sad. It really is. It is a little sad. Because mm-hmm. you say what you want about those music days. Say what you want about MySpace as a social media platform. But the matter of fact is that it was a library. I do have a question about, about the whole MySpace thing. Sure. In your opinion, and granted, I don't. This is, might be a loaded question. I really don't want to get that deep into it. But where do they go wrong? I don't think I have an answer for you. Mm-hmm. I think MySpace was just kind of in a place of complacency, complacency, and then Facebook came along as a new big thing. This young guy made it, blah blah blah, this and that, and Facebook did some new stuff that MySpace just didn't have, and. Tom abandoned it. He sold it to, who was it, Yahoo? He sold it to someone for yeah. $8 billion. And the kind of the, the originator 
the creator of MySpace was no longer involved. And I think that's kind of the downfall of it. Interesting. And it came, it was in this time where everybody had a MySpace and then suddenly nobody had a MySpace. It was just transitioned into Facebook. Yeah. I, and that's what it is. Man. Wait, what? Well, I know you're not big on the Facebook lands, but did you, when did you transition? Do you remember what year that was? 2009? Maybe 2010? Give or take. I remember, I think I'm pretty sure it was like freshman year for me. Well, I was like 2007, 2008. Transitioned gotcha. over. I remember. I remember. But yeah. All right. So, sorry. That was kind of a side rant. So, you, we talked about this a little bit last week, but you brought it up and I want to see where our opinions are on, our, on this particular topic. So, Gabe said last week, we should do a debate or a conversation about who has contributed more to the metalcore community in the last 10 years. No. Let's do 15 years. Uh Will Putney. You got to count for that jail time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, Will Putney, who is a uh, music producer extraordinaire of the, probably the, your favorite, most recent metalcore albums have been produced by him by chance. And um, as I lay dying. And as I lay dying. One of the founding fathers, so to speak. Yeah. I, I would say, what was the first album? O2? Probably. Okay. I have a pretty strong stance on this. Go ahead. Will Putney. Okay. And here's the thing. As I Lay Dying is a good band. And whatever your opinion on Tim is, <laughs> um, you're allowed to have that. But there was a time and place where we were all bumping it. And an ocean between us still smacks. And you know, I think we, I feel like we just spoke about that album not too long ago. You, you last week because of the. Well, even out. before then, when Tim, you know, when they announced that they're back together. Um, here's my whole thing I don't feel the reach. In these newer bands from As I Lay Dying. There's hints. It's like a dash here, a dash there, right? But if you... I feel like if, if I met up with some of these guys and I say, Hey, if you, what were some of your most influential metalcore albums? I feel like out of 100 people, I'd get a handful that say an As I Lay Dying album. And I'm not denying their talent. I'm not denying their skill. I'm not denying their heaviness. Now let's take a look at Will Putney. Will Putney has the Midas touch. He asks a lot of these bands. He'll do 50 takes sometimes on a 10-second bit. You want to know why? Because this man does not settle for anything less than perfection. Look at all the stuff he's done recently. Shit, he produced both our albums of the years last year. Granted, it was the same album, but he's done Fit for an Autopsy. He's done Van Albums, Silent Planet Albums. He's done, fuck man, pull up the list. We did a whole ass Will Putney review. He's done a lot of albums that I would say have fucked me up in a very good way, that have influenced me. Fucked me up in a good way. I like that. Here's going back to that same thing, right? I feel like if you ask that same group of 100 metal men, right? Metal men, I like that. Metal (laughs) men. If you ask them, I feel like, I feel like maybe 25 to 40% would have a Will Putney album on their top five metalcore influences. I think that is a very safe bet. You have a list? I do. Shall, shall we go over it? Come on, start spewing. Uh, give me a second. I'm sorry. I got it. All right. I'm going to scroll. Uh, fucking. Yeah, there's a lot. Let's start in 2005. Armor for Sleep. Yeah, you remember those guys? I remember those guys. They were awesome. Suicide Silence, No Time to Bleed. Four Year Strong, Enemy of the World. Yep. Phenomenal album, by the way. Chiodos, Illuminatio. Upon a Burning Body, This World is Ours. Yeah, you remember that album? I remember that I album. do. For Today, Breaker. Shadows Fall. 
Madness of Manila. That's a that's fantastic. Fifth for an autopsy. The process of human extinction or extermination. Yep. I'm sorry. Straight for the path. Uh, rising sun. Uh, Molotov solution. The insurrection. Like moths of flames when we don't exist. Hundredth. Let go. You you remember that album? I do. Remember. I remember that album. Uh, sure you, I love that album. Uh, I know you do. Uh, North Lane discoveries upon a burning body, red, white, and green. For today, immortal. Texas in July. Self-titled. I, I miss those guys shit. so much. Holy shit. Keep going. Come on. We're not even at the tip of the iceberg yet. Uh, Thy Art is Murder. What? what hate? Hate. Mm-hmm. For today, again, Prevailer. Straight from the past, Anonymous. Counterparts, the difference between hell and home. That oh, that, that thing smacks. My Ticket Home, Strangers Only. Yep. Like Moth to Flame, An Eye for an Eye. Uh, winds of Plague, Resistance. Oh, man. Winds of Plague is nasty. Impending Doom, Death Will Reign. For today, fight the silence. The enemy affliction. The o- let the ocean take me. That was also a very good album. It's a fantastic album. Body count, manslaughter. Wolves at the gate. In case you have strain. Yep. Upon a burning body. The 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 world is my enemy now. Uh huh. Fit for a king, slave to nothing. Oh man. Thyard is murder, holy war. Yep. <laughs> Come on. Straight from the flat path, subliminal criminal. Oh yeah. North Lane Node. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> I think we're just hitting 2016. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, the Enemy Affliction. This could be Heartbreak. Bad Omen. Self-titled. Mm-hmm. Vanna. All Hell. Yeah. Knock Loose. Laugh Tracks. Oh, yeah. Every Time I Die. Low, low Teens. Yep. And from the forgiving, Unforgiving Arms of God. <sighs> the Heart is Murdered. Death and Des- uh, Dear Desolation. Vain. Arizona, uh, Arizona. Yep. Harm's way post human. Look at this. Look at this. And then remember the last 50 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> that Holy is my case and point, sir. Go ahead. Say what you will. Cause I think I've said enough. Yeah, we're good. Let's go ahead and move on to the next topic. <laughs> yeah, we're good. <laughs> All right. So got the Midas touch. He does. He look, does. Look at those and look at where those bands are now since their first Will Putney album. Psh. Some of them blew the fuck up. Others didn't go back to Will Putney, and it shows. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're ridiculous. All right. So round two of our March Madness Metalcore. Well, core. Bracket. Core. You, you were very brave. I got to throw that out there. We, we had the winners from last week, but we shuffled them around due, some, due to some issues we had, and there was a very clear winner if everything went as, the, as planned. So we had to shuffle it around. And you're very brave because you took the top four, which are probably the hardest four. Yep. Let's go. All right. Round one. Under Oath. Mm-hmm. They're only chasing safety versus Elisana, the emptiness. What is your verdict? Well, first off, let, let's, let, let, me, let me give me a second. <laughs> so I will say that this, this particular round, I didn't have to recap any of these albums. I didn't have to look back. I didn't have to listen because I know. I know. All right. Fuck, Gabe. So, it's hard. This is hard. It's super hard. Because they're only chasing safety, depending on your era of Under Oath band or Under Oath you know, album. It's classic. It's classic regardless. But with that being said, I'm going to pick Elisana, The Emptiness, for two reasons. My daughter's named Elisana mm-hmm. because of this album. <laughs> So, now, you mentioned this with Attack Attack. Your main argument was 
bring 100 Attack Attack fans. Half of them will say someday, case on the other half will say something else. I think this is kind of the same way, but like 75% of those people will probably say the emptiness because, granted, I love all their work. I'm a big fan of all their work. But out of all the Elisana albums, this is the defining one. There's no other album that is more musically and aesthetically pleasing than the emptiness. And I don't know if that's a personal thing. I don't I don't know. But again, to you me bring a hundred under oath fans and you're gonna have a shit show. Yeah. And there's gonna be a bar fight. Yeah. Um if this was to find the great line, I don't think Elisana wins. But because this is their, their only That's interesting because you said Chasing Safety is your under oath album. No, it's not. Define the Great Line is. Oh. Yeah. Um the Find the Great Line is a better album. But this is not the conversation that we're having. We're having the conversation between the Rolling Chase and Safety and the Emptiness. And with that, I'll say the Emptiness will haunt you. And I'm moving on to the next round. Excellent choice, my friend. All right. I think that argument I made about Attack Attack is very pertaining to Under Oath as well. Because you're going to have those two or three people that say, Dallas Taylor was the best Under Oath front. Yeah. And those three dudes are going to get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> God damn it. That's so true. All right. Next round. This was another rough one. Yep. Not as hard. Seo Sin, self-titled, against Let Live, Fake History. Now, I love me some Let Live. This is one of their better albums. But Seo Sin's an absolute classic. You're, there's no argument here. Uh, I think um, as far as pushing the envelope, Seo Sin did that with this album. And uh, I was there. I saw the emergence of Seo Sin. And this was the peak. Not to say that Let Live didn't have a peak because they absolutely did, but it was the next album. It wasn't this one. So I'm going to go ahead and give this to Sayosin self-titled this round. All right. This one. Next batch. All That Remains Fall of Ideals and Fit for an Autopsy. Fit for an Autopsy, The Great Collapse. Yeah. What was your thought process going into this? Because I feel like this one would be rough for me too. Yeah. Um, Fit for an Autopsy had made a great album. Mm-hmm. All right. They did a great job with it. Very yeah. new wave deathcore. Yeah, good they, stuff. They took their stuff into the next, you know, the next level. However, oh, uh, um, we want to talk about metalcore excellence. Oh wow! <laughs> We're wow, gonna, I did not see this coming. Okay, you got to give it to all that remains. You have to. Did you re- re- listen to the Fallout Ideals? I did last week, and it's cranks it's, right. It's, it's fucking perfection. It was. <laughs> It's like, you know what I compare it to? The Fall of Ideals was very similar to like Atlas or Deep Blue in regards to Parkway Drive. I was just thinking, by the way, that my, how did we not include a Parkway Drive album on this fucking I think bracket? Parkway Drive is kind of, yeah, man, they, they got a lot of good stuff. Maybe we should make another bracket in the in the coming weeks. But Next year. <laughs> but, but my mentality was that this album is kind of like a metalcore masterpiece like those two albums were. Before both bands became dad metal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Because All That Remains was was very much self-aware dad metal for a good chunk there. You know? And Parkway Drive with this new reverence stuff is in the same vein. Yeah. But I just think that we're kind of comparing the best of the bunch here. And I, I, I didn't think you were going to pick it, but yeah, good stuff, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad we kind of agreed on this. Yeah, because like I said, to me, Fifth for an Autopsy is a really, really good deathcore album. But that's where it ends. Yeah, cool. I mean, it doesn't transcend. Does it does not transcend? All right. And last one on my list is "Motionless and White Creatures" versus "Year of the Knife." 
Ultimate aggression. Ultimate think, aggression. I think you, I know what you picked. What do you think? Motionless. <laughs> no? I did not pick motionless and white. All right. So Jesus Peace won. What's your reasoning? You're the knife one. Oh, I'm sorry. Whoops. <laughs> Whoop. I had a had a moment there. I, I like see because like I, the more I listen to this album, the more I like it. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this could be just because it's the new ears, the new ears, new sounds, and I'm listening to it. I'm like, I enjoy that more. To me, I mean, they, obviously, there's absolute fucking bangers on creatures, but for me, I can't, I can't remove the fact from what they were to what they have become. I can't get rid of that. You can't in my separate head. that. I can't separate it. And um, speaking of which, uh, the bassist from. Ice Nine Kills joined Marshall and White. I don't know if saw you know that. that. Uh, but um, I can't remove that, that they're now pseudo Marilyn Manson. I can't, I, I can't, I can't separate that in my head. Now, You're the Knife, however, is a band that's going to come up and they have a clean slate. The more I listen to it, the more I like it. And the more I look forward to seeing what they come out with the future. Cool. Yeah. I uh, did that. All right. Cool analysis. Um, maybe I should give You're the Knife a re-listen. Yeah, it's good. Because Creatures is, is quite an excellent metalcore album. Absolutely. But maybe there's something I'm missing here. I'm going to go bottom up. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to start with probably one of the harder ones in this bracket. Uh, it's I Killed the Prom Queen Beloved versus Code Orange Forever. I want to make this distinction very clear right now. Uh-oh. There is a hard <laughs> difference between being heavy and being violent. And you know me, man. I like the violence. So who'd you go with? I Killed the Prom Queen. <gasps> and I like Code Orange. And Holy I think shit. all the Grammy <laughs> appraisal and, and the notoriety, I think that's well-deserved. There's something about Forever that doesn't reach me in the same way that Beloved does. When I feel like I'm listening to Forever, you, you feel it. You, you feel it, you know? But when you're listening to Beloved, it's like the music kind of almost takes over. It's not just in your heart. You don't feel the beat in your heart. You feel it in like the tips of your fingers and you want to like... I don't know, like swerve off the road and flip your car. You know what I'm saying? You know what's fantastic? What? Just if anybody has any questions about the the power of beloved, beloved, whatever it's called, just listen to the intro to to the wolves with that fucking drum roll, and as the, the you know the guitar is playing its notes, and then when it come kicks right in, it fucking takes you off your fucking feet, and you want to hit somebody really fucking hard. So if anybody has any doubt about how how much of an excellent album. I killed the prom cream created with that. Just listen to the intro to two of the wolves. Cause you will, it will change your fucking opinion on the whole matter. Here's my, here's my comparison here. And I think, I think you'll be able to agree on this. It's like looking at zombies versus space EP. Space EP is the more refined one forever. It, I don't want to call it super refined. Cause at the end of the day, it's a hardcore album. There's gotta be a layer of grit, right? And it's very well constructed. It's very well thought out. And there's some violence involved. Look at zombies. You crank that violence up to 100. There's a reason that is the zombies EP. What is synonymous with the zombie movie? Blood and gore and violence and just the nastiest mosh bits you could think of. And that's why I had to give it to I Killed a Prom Queen. Because Code Orange brings the heat. Beloved already has it there. And I think that's the way I want to sum it up. Okay. Excellent. Wow. You know, that, that, I, that, it, I just had to go with my gut on that one, man. Did you, did you, okay. So how familiar were you with you? How familiar were you with, I killed the property and be loved before this tournament? I never took a deep dive, but when it came down to this, I was like, I should probably re-listen to both and get a good grips. And I was delightfully surprised. 
Excellent. Adrian's going to be proud of you, Gabe. I, <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to, like, I don't want to say that Code Orange isn't heavy. They are. They absolutely are. And yeah. they are absolutely at the forefront of the hardcore scene. Yeah. It's a di- it's different. But it's different. Like I said, heaviness does not it does not equal violence. And in, in this realm of music, there's that distinction. I, I was telling Adriana, because we, we were re-listening to it the other day as well, I think probably for last week's tournament. And I'm like, how do they make their guitar sound like that? <laughs> Beat the shit out of it. I, I killed the prompt. I'm like, how, is, how does it sound like that? How is it? They, they fill the, the way the strings are wound in like that Clapton style. There's like layers of like flesh in between. There's no other way. There's very thin layers of like flesh. I'm just like, because it's just yeah. the, the. How do you replicate that? That's the most gnarly guitar L- sound. Let's get like Dan in here and have him replicate it. Because, you know? Yeah. You know what I'm saying, though? Yeah. And that's why I chose it. Excellent. Excellent. All right, moving up. We got Chiodo's Bone Palace versus Kill Switch Engage, the end of Heartache. I know I know who should win this by what I'm genuinely curious in your opinion. Um. Okay. And I want to clear. I want to clear the air because you you think I don't like Killswitch Engage. I do. I enjoy them. And the end of Heartache is a good album. But <laughs> there's no but here. It's a good album. Period. Uh-huh. Um, granted, I don't love the new Killswitch, but that's not the that's argument like, yeah. here, right? Yeah. Here's my thing. I think when you chop up Killswitch Engage and compare it to all that remains and kind of similar bands in that era, I think it's very easy to get lost in that sound. There's never been a band quite like Chiodos. Chiodos, Bone Palace takes it. Absolutely. And That's my choice. I love Killswitch Engage. And I think maybe musically, Killswitch had some very good shit in here. And I'd say this is probably the best Killswitch album we've we've yeah. gotten, right? Yeah, fair enough. But there hasn't been anything like Chiodos since Chiodos. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you listen to Dance Gavin Dance and you're not, and you don't realize it and you're like, huh, this sounds like Dance Gavin Dance and it's spot fucking on. There's not quite another band out there that can replicate that same sound and those same nuances, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Will Swan guitar sweep or the John Mess, like dirty penis sterilization vo- lyrics. You ever, you ever listen to John Mess lyrics? Just listen to them. They're strange. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's Dance Gavin. You know, it's Chiodos. When it comes on, there's no doubt about it. True. And that's why I gave it to Bone Palace Ballet. Okay, fair enough. Cool. All right. This one was interesting. Jesus Peace Only Self versus Whitechapel Mark of the Blade. Jesus Peace got it. Here's why. Wow. I think looking back at these two albums, there's a lot of similarities between the two of them. There's this foundation of cement and blood and like sulfur, everything you should expect from the heavier side of the core stuff, right? Whitechapel's music is a bit boring in comparison to Jesus' piece. And may not be for all Whitechapel albums. I feel like it was the case for Mark of the Bleed. I think there was just something left to be desired in this album. I I feel like there's elements of Whitechapel on this particular album where it's like kind of copy and paste. Here's my thing. If we're looking at bands specifically, Whitechapel takes a no doubt. They've been around for longer. They have more material. And I'm sure I could put together a 10-song set list for Whitechapel that's going to be a better than a 10-song set list for Jesus Peace. Album-wise, Jesus Peace brings a lot of energy and a lot of love and a lot of very careful craftsmanship to the way this album is presented. And it's noticed. I got to give it to them. Because, like I said, there's a lot of similar shit. There's These albums run in parallel almost, right? But Jesus Peace takes it. Just because what Whitechapel did was not up to par, was not up to snuff. All right. Maybe there was a level of complacency there. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Whatever it is. And, you know, 
watch all these deathcore kids that are going to come after me now. <laughs> you piece of shit. All right. Suicide Silence, The Cleansing versus Alex is on Fire, Crisis. Two very good albums from around the same time period, right? Very. Cleansing was 2010. Crisis was 2012. No. Hold on. Was it 2009? Hold on. I think there was a Redux date in 2009 sounds right to me, but hold on. Because I think there was a version in 2012 that came out too. Oh, wow. um, yeah, look it up. Look it up real quick. Because I remember these two going you're back way, to back. You're way the fuck off with when, that. When was Crisis? 2006? 2006. Okay. Yeah. And least, Cleansing was 09? Let me look. Oh, I'm sorry. Or 08 maybe? Yeah, it was 08 because they did the 10-year tour last year. Yep, that sounds about right. Okay. Correct. Suicide Silence with Mitch Lucker was an excellent band. And I'm sure they still are. Without Mitch Locker. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they're still putting in the work, whatever amount of work they want to put in. Sure. And Crisis is an excellent album. And I think it, I think what this album does breaks what your traditional post-hardcore album is. And I feel like music, in a sense, this album it, it, it breaks all barriers. It's not only a post-hardcore album. It's a very good political and social commentary on the world. And clen cleansing bangs, man. But Crisis has to take this. Crisis is like a testament to the world. This is like a gift from above what this band constructed here. It's a very proper album. And Absolutely. I don't think there's any way of getting around that. All right. Cleansing. I feel like if, you're, if you weren't around for the cleansing, you'd be like, eh, give or take. But even looking back at this... 13-year-old album? Yep. It's even more relevant today. Absolutely. It and works. I think for that statement, it's got to take it. All right. That's my four. All right. So let's go ahead and do a count. Obviously, last week, me and Gabe did the count. We wanted to see where we stood. And All right. Yeah. Let, let's uh, let's plow through this. Post-hardcore ran away so, with it. So, right. You got your little clipboard ready? Yep. So we got The Emptiness under post. Say in self-titled under post. <laughs> oh, man. Fall of Ideals under Metalcore. Year of the Knife under Hardcore. Crisis under Post. Jesus Christ. Jesus Peace under Hardcore. Chiodos under Post. And I Killed the Prom Queen under Metalcore. So is that four post? Four, two, two, zero. Yep. Death is out. of Death is out. I'm sorry, my friends, but Deathcore, you are out of the bracket. Yep. I, 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 it's funny because me and Gabe intentionally split up this bracket again to not favor post-hardcore we put like some good post-hardcore albums we against. put the two top contenders against each other yeah and somehow <laughs> and somehow they're still on top this, i think i think this is a testament to not only what we enjoy but i think i think what the post-hardcore community brings into the scene yeah absolutely i think that's a fair statement i think it's tremendously underrated what they contribute and I, it's it's really sad to see that scene not be as big as it once was absolutely and I'd say probably like death and metalcore. Probably I wish there was right now. I just wish there was a guy who would give an accurate description on what the post hardcore scene contributed. Maybe that could be us. <laughs> so not. four two two zero. I, I didn't think deathcore would be out that quick. I really didn't. Think no, I think I think to me this would this lines up. I think I think if I, I were to pick all, one of them that would be, it would have been deathcore. Maybe we should have reconsidered the deathcore albums. Yeah, maybe you put all of mine here for the most part. <laughs> Put a good chunk of them on yeah. there, but I think we're in agreement for most of them. Yeah, that's true. Maybe one or two here or there, but uh, interesting results. Yeah, I don't know if we're gonna break it up again. Well, I guess we'll have to wait, look at the racket, and see. We're gonna, you know, which two have to be pitted against each other eventually. Are you thinking Crisis and? Uh, yep, the emptiness. Yes, yes. That's gonna be rough. Watch that be the final. 
<laughs> Watch that be the final. We have to figure something out. We're, we're gonna have a full blown debate here about these two albums. Yeah, it's, it's coming. The, these two, uh, these two objects eventually will meet. And we'll what happens wait. when an immovable Stop object meets an unstoppable stop. force? Well, I guess we'll find out. On one twelve, <laughs> maybe one thirteen, we'll find out. Well, yeah, we'll find out. So. But that that was that was the longest episode in recorded history. We have a hundred, hundred, one hour and fifty minutes on this particular episode, Gabe. Very cool. All right. So um what's it called? So yeah, that that was the Second City Kids podcast. Obviously this week we did not do a ten song set list because we had so much, man. A meedy, lot of meedy, shit. Meedy, meedy, meedy yeah. But uh, I do want to do one for next week and I'm I think it's my turn to pick, I think. What was the last one? Lex is on fire? Yeah. Was that you or was that me? No, oh, you could have it. All right. Uh for your strong. Cool. I already got my ton. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, but with that, like I said, that was episode 111 of the Second City Kids podcast. You can go ahead and subscribe and like us on iTunes. Go ahead and rate us. Uh, go ahead and uh, find us on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio. You know, we're not the Indian fellow. Uh, but, um, yeah, and we'll be back here next week for episode 112. Uh, until then, deuces. <laughs>